0: I would say if the authorities didn't want us involved in the public square, they ought not to have crucified Jesus in the public square. Use humanistic principles. Well, I would say the, the same end, idea. I would say same that.
1: I would say, what's the problem with stardust bumping into stardust? In the, in the cosmic picture? No. There's no problem. In oh, the cosmic right. picture, it won't matter. No, Mr. President, you are not protecting reproductive freedom. You are authorizing the
2: destruction of freedom for one million little human beings every year.
1: I'm sorry, my friends, but I am tired of
3: seeing Jesus presented as a weak beggar He is a powerful Savior, and the gospel is not a suggestion. It is a command.
1: Reverend Mola, don't you sympathize with that? I sympathize with every single human heart wishing to know the one true and living God, but I believe there's only one way that that can happen through Jesus Christ, and the gospel is about repenting of sin, not celebrating it. Of an amazing adventure. We
2: will explore the spiritual abyss. You have not experienced
1: this before.
2: You're gonna love it.
1: But you are Nero, Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. Here it is. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Did you hear that? Forever. I did. You hear that? Forever. Everyone. Everyone. Ooh. It says, every one of your righteous rules endures Forever. Everyone? Everyone. Welcome, everybody, to Apologia Radio. This is the gospel heard around the world. ApologiaStudios.com is where you guys can go to get more. You can get to hundreds, literally hundreds, of radio shows, podcast episodes, everything from Apologia Radio to Sheologians with this one over here and Summer Jaeger. And you've got Provoked and you've got Cultish with Jeremiah and Andrew. Jeremiah's getting married this weekend. <laughs> what? He's getting married. Right? Now that is
2: a Christmas miracle. Yep.
1: That's what we've been praying about for a long time. Long even time. tried to hook you up with Jerry back in the day. It was, we were trying to make it happen.
3: It's been a long time coming. Yeah.
1: It's been a long time coming. We've got stories. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to make, make feel awkward. I'm waiting to see how Joy's going to yeah, respond to that. Not,
3: not awkward. It was probably, what, like 12 11 years ago, yeah, so. it's about 11. Teen ago, yeah, <laughs> 11 yeah, 11. 11 and some change, yeah, 11 and some
1: change. Yeah. We were trying, we were just you know, trying, we've been praying, and and I, I do want to say that Pastor Luke and I can take credit for a number of marriages. It's true. Uh, that have that's taken place, true. and uh, this is one where I get to well, say, "You did." I, I mean, certainly, on certainly
4: one. the ones you officiate,
1: yeah, you can take credit well, for. Yeah, I mean, but this is one. <laughs> of not, that I'm not only to... officiating, but I'm actually the I'm the matchmaker.
2: Yeah, that's was, what we're did talking you know
3: about. that? Uh, I was the yeah. matchmaker.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh. I sat down. So with you, rec- role. you, we actually sat, do this quite often. But it happens a lot because we, you know, a bunch of sad sap single Christians be like, okay I can't find anybody." Oh, Jeremiah is in the thing. Mm-hmm. Is he here? He's in those. Chat. Oh, what's up, Jeremiah? Yeah, you know, just you know, you, we'll, we'll just be like, hey, why don't you take a look to your right?
3: Yeah, have you noticed? <laughs> Sometimes it's have just you noticed that. that cute, quiet girl over there? Hey, she loves Jesus, yeah. and uh, she's cute,
1: and that's what you're looking for, and she's right happen. over there. Yeah, and then they go, oh, that's actually a good idea.
3: And next thing you know, like on Monday, they're going on their first date. It's like, what? What? Well, this now at long? our church, like if you just sit in on the opposite side, you of get the... pregnant. <laughs> That's not what I
4: was
2: going to say, but
4: <laughs>
2: we got a lot somebody's of babies gonna, coming. Someone's going to take <laughs> that one out of context. We got lots
1: of babies. What I'm saying is, is like, like, like and apology, yeah, there's babies everywhere and babies being. It's true. Babies on the way. Babies here. Lots of babies. Gotta,
4: gotta yeah. Careful. I think this
3: 2023 will have a wave. Sneeze. We're due for a wave. We are. Of children. Especially after yeah. that sermon. After my Proverbs oh, yeah. sermon, mm-hmm. uh, we're expecting a big wave in August. Right. I have nine months from
1: two, week, two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, welcome everybody. So, Apologia Studios, just tell what that sermon
2: was about. Yeah, so. well, or it, maybe
1: just what because, proverb? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was it was proverbs. It, just look it up in Apologia Studios thread here on YouTube. Not right now, but you know, go back to that later. It's uh, the title is the whore and death, and um, I know really, really, and this is going. It really it's, it's, really covered a lot it's, it's, in the well, sermon. The reason why I called it the whore and death is because that's that's literally a summary of. What the whole section Agreed. sections say, so that's you know it wasn't necessarily trying to be provocative. It was just like that's what's a summary title of what we're talking about today, and uh, one of the ways. Is you well, if the-
4: you're expecting a wave of children next aug- August, obviously August. you were being. Provocative yeah. in some way.
1: Yeah. Well, I, well I, I mean, one of the points that God makes, and I love this, He makes the point about the harlot, the whore, and and you know people going to her go down to death in the chamber of death and all these things, and then he he says, God says in His wisdom, one of the ways to preserve your marriage from infidelity is to enjoy one another. Uh, sexually that's what he says and so yeah. I did a whole section on let's let's deal with the text is the word of God and uh and go check it out and uh well, hey watch it as a couple watch it as a married couple I hope it'll bless you guys because honestly I mean that's that's God's wisdom. That's what you do. So um, uh, go to BonsonU at apologiestudios.com If you haven't done it yet, you should definitely get on that. You are missing out day by day by not doing it. BonsonU, Studios.com It is totally free uh, to sign up and to start learning from one of the top-tier seminary courses available. About 2,000 audio lectures and video lectures are going to be there when they're all finished and done. And uh, there's a ton up there already. So if you haven't started, start it. Start it by yourself. Young Men is in, uh, ministry, training for vocational ministry as ministers, you should definitely be doing that. Uh, Bible studies, do it with your church. It'll bless your life. Dr. Greg Bonson, one of the greatest blessings to the Christian church, I believe. And we've got all of his stuff thanks to the Bonson family. So Bonson, you at ApologyStudios.com and um, don't forget also, it is today, December 1st, and so we last year, thanks to actually Jessica Benegas, she was the first
3: one to suggest it. Told She's actually in the chat she right is now. Chat. Is she? Hi, we Jessica. have a lot of friends in the we chat right do. now. Now, it's unusual
1: jessica suggested it first isaac got that to me isaac i this i love how isaac said it. i just do this quickly isaac was just more like hey let's just do this quick devotional thing you know 25 little devotionals whatever and it, it was not quick wow. which i'm totally happy to have made, made an investment in because it's, bla- meal, it's blessing friends. so many families but it was more like yeah just you know quick meal a couple friends and no that's not what this is it's gonna take a bit it's gonna i don't it, know why
2: he would think that doing anything with you would be quick
1: it's just how he got me to do it. He's like, Oh, It'll he be was quick. trying to lie. Was just he
2: was he was being well, deceptive.
4: There I think it's quick <laughs> <laughs> it's quick compared to like the industry standard. Yeah. Sometimes when you come oh, in the studio, people are like, just real quick, real simple, and it's yeah. like, so you mean compared to what other studios yeah. and do? He, and okay. he's <laughs> chomping
1: at the bit right now, trying to he's just trying not oh, to yeah. say something to like here we see. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Can you hear
3: me? Uh, yeah, I can hear you. You can hear me? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, I mean, the assumption is that we're going to operate, like Joyce said, like a, a professional studio. Yeah. So if we set a record time for... Yeah, let's cut say, your mic. Cut okay. your mic. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> Just, joking. Just joking. So
1: anyway, go right now. It's the first day of the Advent Series. It's an apology of Studios. There's actually a playlist for it. So you can sit down by yourself. You can sit down with your family, your church, your friends. And uh, go through a daily Advent devotional. Um, it I we, we are so honored to be to have been able to do it, and uh, grateful that it's there as a resource, resource, reinforce, reinforce your Christian faith. Yes, that's what I meant to say. No, re, resource for you and your family and uh, the, the great thing about it too is that not only is it something you can do with your family and easy to click and do this devotional every day all the way to Christmas but you can also share this because within the whole series is just the gospel the story of the gospel what I was I looking, you shaking your head. sometimes I look at something Luke like and I wait I for just, him to see the yeah, comment
3: that I, I just saw
1: <laughs> I don't even know is that Carmen?
2: is that Carmen in there? what?
4: someone You'll needs to just ask for repentance
3: oh okay Okay. Why? that's for
4: repentance. Yeah. Down
0: that's, at the bottom.
3: So repent. Can... Say my name. Yeah. That <laughs> that one? No. Yeah. yeah. Oh,
1: yeah, that's, that's the... okay. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. What Anyways. a gem.
3: That's got to be Carmen. What
1: a gem. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, listen, we're back. Thanksgiving was wonderful. I hope yours was wonderful as well. Uh, it is uh, Advent season, so we are thrilled here at Apologia because we love to celebrate the Incarnation and the coming of Christ to save His people from their sins. And so again, check out the Advent series. Um, we're back, and we got an important episode today. We're talking about uh, Theonomy, God's law, and uh, I open up today with Psalm 119. And so we're going to be engaging a bit with actually a friend of ours. Um, she's been on a, on cultish, I believe, Dorian Virtue, and. Yeah. I was on uh, her program once uh, telling Augustine's story. So we love Doreen. Yeah, she's sweet. Uh, she's super sweet. She loves the Lord. We love her. Uh, but she did a show with uh, um, somebody that um, clearly was out of his element in terms of understanding God's law, the issue of theonomy. And uh, we're going to engage with it, not just... Uh, there's so much stuff that comes across. We're like, hey, engage with this, do this, do this. And we're like, it's just not going to be really valuable for the church. Like, what's what's the point? And uh, we try to we try our best to avoid any kind of uh, conflict and controversy between Christians that can be avoided. But when it comes to some doctrinal issues that actually, you know, have a dramatic effect on the church, our mission in the world, and just on rightly handling the word of God and some issues like you, you do have to engage. And we think that this particular engagement is going to be a blessing to you, and this is this is an important element because I'm going to turn this over to Luke here in a second. But this is an important thing to talk about today as you guys are sort of gearing up to to listen to this. It's important because the the witness of the church is um, not doing so well. I think we can agree with that in the West today, and um, there's there's a number of reasons for that. There's a number of reasons in terms of unfaithfulness, um, not solid preaching. It's the problems in the pulpit at the beginning, bad eschatologies, bad perspectives of the future, the role of the church, the role of government, but specifically one of the core issues is the law of God. We have such a terrible, terrible perspective, an unbiblical and disconnected perspective of the law of God today in the church in the West, that we are failing dramatically. And there are some very, very bad perspectives of the law of God in the minds and mouths of many professing believers. And so this is an important discussion to have, because the inconsistencies on this issue abound abound and now just to be uh, humble enough at the front for everyone to understand this all of us are fallible creatures. None of us are omniscient. We aren't all-knowing. All of us have some um, um, failures in our the- our theology or our ecclesiology or somewhere where nobody's got perfect doctrine, only Jesus. Um, and um, of course, the, you know, the inspired apostles. But um, when it comes to an issue like this, the scriptures are really clear on this. And um, so we're going to critique it. So before we do, I'm going to kick it over to Luke real fast. Guys, get your Bibles ready because we're going <clears> to... <throat> do this and try to get through as much as we can today
2: so bear with me because i promise i'm going to tie this all together like a fine rug did you see what's happening in china right now no they're like what
1: oh i heard there's like is there protests oh yeah
2: like major i haven't seen them but i've heard i've heard some people saying this could be the end of the ccp yeah no yeah people have had enough they literally they literally locked people in an apartment people building. People are
1: starving. I heard that.
2: Yeah, like, they welded the door shut. Shut up! And burned them alive. Wait, what? Yeah,
1: I have not seen yeah, this. but I've been, out of I've been out of loop. People
2: are like, they've had enough. So no kidding. Um, yeah. So the the reason I brought that up, um, one, we're gonna t- this is gonna lead into why theonomy is important. Um, but two, I bet you the people there wish that they had tools of liberty.
1: Ah. Yes. So See, I got a little nice little segue there, Tools nice of Liberty. segue. <laughs> Very
2: good. Uh, people that sell Tools of Liberty would be our friends of the Armored Republic. Um, and uh, just read this real quick. The famous first battles of the American war for independence, which could be happening in China. China. The battles of Lexington and Concord. China. Have an important piece of history behind them. They were fought to resist the British taking away guns and ammunition from Americans living in those areas. People of China don't have those things. Tools of Liberty. Firearms are the first and primary tool of liberty, but a growing number of free men are realizing that fire, firearms are only the beginning. The next most important tool of liberty is body armor, a defensive tool of liberty to match the offensive capabilities of guns. This is where America, uh, Armored Republic, America, America. This is where Armored Republic comes in.
1: This is where America comes in.
2: Armored Republic equips the freemen of America with the tools of liberty that are necessary to defend their God-given rights to honor, or to the honor of Christ the King. But we need your help. The Armored Republic is hiring for more good stewards in this time of massive growth to join this mission. Check out Careers page at ar five hundred armor.com. Need a job. Careers. Contact
1: Armored Republic.
2: They're awesome. We love them. They've yeah. been great. And I uh, also want to thank our sponsors at uh, New St. Andrews yeah. College in Moscow, Idaho. They're the they're the best. Love those your guys. kids there.
1: That's right. And NSA. Before, edu Sorry.
2: yes that one edu is important <laughs> um i <laughs> i didn't do this intentionally today but the shirt i'm wearing moses not marks is perfect it's perfect for today uh but you can find this shirt i don't know what during which camera you can find this shirt at uh shop.apology left over from ReformCon, and it's moses, awesome
1: is not marks that was from a side comment i made on one of our shows yeah. and you said that's our new shirt yep moses and i love it not more it and that's you know, that's a key issue. I think it goes to very much a lot of what we're talking about today. In, in, you know, you're, you're always going to have an ultimate in society. There's just no avoiding that. There's no avoiding an ultimate. There's no avoiding ultimate authority. And so you have today uh, radical leftists and you've got communists, literally communists and Marxists, who are trying to impose their system upon the world. And you see it in all the woke propaganda and the intersectionality and all the other stuff you see in the tactics and tools that they have for their dominion and um you see that going on all around us and so they're because they're imposing their ultimate uh for christians the ultimate is jesus he's the king of kings and lord of lords the one with all authority in heaven and on earth today not coming to get it someday he already has it and so when we say moses not marks what we're saying is if you got questions about morality Mm -hmm. if you've got questions about justice in society then you need to look at moses not marks and why because moses gives us the first five books of the bible moses gives us the revelation of god we have the torah we have the law of god if you want to know what is just righteous holy and true you go to the word of god and so that brings us to this discussion by the way uh i didn't even say hi to joy yet today that's the bear i'm the ninja and that's the girl hello how are you doing good
4: um did just, you get new glasses i did not oh look um, different for some reason. they i something happened to them because I also looked in the mirror this week and was like these look different so I don't know what that's about it's kind of weird that, <laughs> that you strange. just confirmed it um, I'm just excited that it's December And you and yeah and, uh, yeah, yeah. and uh, I, yeah I'm just having a great time
1: alright real fast say it quickly because we got everyone watching we're chomping on the bit ready for the thing uh, Christmas tradition you have that's very special to you and your family anything you think of yours okay <sighs>
4: Oh man! Um, oh wait, can I have a second? To- Luke goes first. You sh- okay, okay,
1: Luke. Go. Favorite
2: tradition? Yeah. Uh, one thing that we do is I make on Christmas Eve a uh, long family, long time family recipe of German potato pancakes um, with my kids, and nice. I love doing that. We used to. See, uh, I've seen the, I've seen the photos. Yeah, they're yeah, awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was something as a kid that we always did with my with my grandma and my grandparents and so we've been able to kind of continue that with my kids so it's fun nice
3: nice
4: well i like i like the um i guess the typical ones of like jammies Mm -hmm. like the presentation of the christmas jammies Mm -hmm. and then georgia gets an ornament nice every year that's sweet so, um, and it just kinda has you know, you get to like think about what's representative of of my kid this year. That's nice. So, um how about you? You guys are like we I think full of I feel I feel like some traditions take a second they take time to time establish. To build. Yeah, no and question. sometimes you try something and you're like, Nobody really liked this. Right.
1: Yeah,
3: Um, yeah. I think that's that's
1: pretty much how ours have developed was we would just try something new and we're like, well, this is really cool. This is something fun. Our kids, this will build a memory. And so for us, we want that day of celebrating the incarnation to be something that kids look forward to and they remember and that's on our lips. Like, why are we doing this? Like, we explain everything Like the reason we're exchanging the gifts is because Christ is God's gift to us. It's a free gift. You didn't do anything for it. You know, all that. And God lavishes this upon you. Um, For us, Christmas Eve, obviously we we do all our special foods and we watch all the Christmas movies and all that stuff. But when the kids go to bed, we read, of course, the account of Jesus' birth in scripture. And then we pray, we thank God. Kids go to bed. They usually sleep in exactly the same rooms that night like because we have so much to do. And so they sort of pile up a sleepover in one room. And even when they're older, they're still doing that Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Um, And uh, we just basically change the entire house. Like we just have like... I mean, hundreds of lights. We, like, install stuff. Like, we go to bed at, like, 2, 3 in the morning because we're just, like, up all night, like, making this into it's a like, spectacle. you know
4: the, the portion of the animated Grinch mm-hmm. when they have all the crazy decoration like right. that whole little montage of yeah. them like just they just have like things laying on the ground and whatever yeah that's you yeah so yeah. yeah
1: that's what we do we, we like <laughs> we, we we create light trails from the doors to the tree and we create a candy trail where we literally put candy out all the way to the tree from their door um and then we put lights everywhere we put special stuff up so when they walk out they went to bed with it looking one way. They can walk out in the morning and it's completely different. We're playing Elvis Presley's if every day were like Christmas when they walk out. And, mm. you know, it's just this very special moment. And, and that's that's what we do just to make that day something memorable. You know, we're, we're really thinking about the coming of Christ and we're
3: doing all these special traditions and symbols to point the family to that amazing truth of God becoming a man. So I don't I don't have a super large family
4: yet, but there is a tradition I am hopeful to implement um, which is basically where you turn on the electric light parade song and then you make a train and the whole family like goes and picks everyone up at their room oh, that's and then so, they absolutely. add on to the <laughs> back of the train. That's
3: <laughs> actually really cool. That, that but, was, you know, that's really fun. We live in a small apartment and there's <laughs> yeah, just so, three of us. So how's that gonna work out. it's a little train, yeah, but <laughs> uh, Hey, the train <laughs> will
1: get longer and longer. <laughs> all right so here we go guys so this question of oh, i'll just jump right into it because we're going to have to do so much response yeah, to this let's just get right to this it this might so, be a long show <laughs> yeah uh but hopefully a blessing like i said we try to be very careful about what we choose to interact with especially when we're interacting with other believers um and um you know I, let to just say make one comment as i hit play here um the title of the show today is refuting an embarrassing critique of god's law before we did that i asked luke is you think this is a good title and um we agreed in refuting an embarrassing critique of God's law of theonomy. Um, that's that's what this was. I mean that with all due respect to my brother and sister here who did this, uh, but this was an embarrassing critique. And I wanted to say at the front because we're going to get to a lot of response here. Um, it's embarrassing because now this has been put down as a public record. Mm-hmm. So when I say embarrassing, what I mean is is if you make an error in private, that's one thing, right? Right. Um, it's an embarrassment, but it's it's still a private a private error. Um, said something wrong. Said something false about something. You know that's 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 a private you know error. But when you do this publicly, and you pontificate and you uh, pretend to have authority to be able to teach on something or explain something, and you clearly are out of your element because you literally are saying things about a system and people who believe it that is not true. It becomes an embarrassing critique because now this is public. In other words, you've, you've now left a public record of um, ignorance. Now I'm going to say ignorance and not lying, even though this brother says that he's studied this and he's read books on it and everything else. Um, but I'm still going to say ignorant because, you know, it's either ignorance or lying um, because you know, and you're contradicting what people have said. So you're lying about it or you're just truly ignorant, you don't understand, and you never have really read any books on theonomy. Here's, here's what I would say at the front. I get the feeling, and uh, I, my understanding is that the brother who tries to give a critique here has never actually read a book on theonomy by a yeah, I agree. and the reason why and i say that by the way there's lots of people trying to make critiques of theonomy and you hear me saying that a lot like i don't think this guy's read a book on it and the reason i say that is because the literature is like very 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 clear and consistent on some of these things and so for someone to just completely mischaracterize it it, it just brings me to a place where i have to say i don't think you've read anything on this because um people actually take pains to be clear um Um, about what you're saying and you're 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 not telling the truth Mm. and so that's why i'd say like i don't think you've read anything on this. So at the start, I'll just point everyone, Theonomy and Christian Ethics by Dr. Greg Bonson, By the Standard by Greg Bonson. Good books to start with. There's a whole bunch. If you can go back and read the Puritans and many of the reformers on this, you can go back into church history and read lots of the giants on this issue. Uh, But I would say if you want a good one-stop shop, just get By the Standard by Bonson and Theonomy and Christian Ethics by Mm -hmm. Bonson. If you read those two books, you wouldn't make the mistakes this brother does. That's all I I would say. Even Um,
2: By the Standard would clarify a lot
1: very of very statement. much so yeah so here we go um this is um uh our sister Doreen virtue um and um let's see here the title of this episode was three false teachings to avoid federal vision theonomy and dominionism um and so here we go
5: so so should, should we segue next into dominionism or theonomy
1: yeah, I mean, they're kind of connected,
0: but we could... Uh, yeah, let's definitely do theonomy, and then we'll, okay. we'll connect it over to Dominion. Okay,
5: okay. so so next, if you could please tell us what is wrong with theonomy. What is it, and what's wrong with it? Because we're hearing a lot about theonomy, mm-hmm. and and we want to be able to recognize it so we can avoid it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, what's
1: interesting about it, it, it's kind of gone through some waves. Um, you know, we it's it probably... By- quickly um the way that he describes theonomy the errors that he makes and the errors that doreen that you make as well um the way that you describe theonomy i would also want to avoid that yeah um but what you guys describe here is actually fundamentally denied and rigorously denied by theonomists always has been um, I've never, I've never met, read or heard from somebody who says they're a theonomist that believes the, some of the things that, uh, they say here. So tell us what it is so we can avoid it. Well, the picture you're painting here, I would also want to avoid. Um, but it's not the theonomy that I teach or that I believe mm-hmm. or anybody I've read teaches or believes. Um, so that's, I'll just say at the start. 40,
0: 45, 50 years ago is when it started to really kind of take precedent and then it died and
1: now it's kind of coming back. So quickly, um, if you're trying to put this into... I don't know that he's doing this here, so I want to be fair and, and just to him here... Um, when he says 40 or 50 years ago, he's referring back to the days of like Bonson and R.J. Rush Dooney mm-hmm. and Gary North and, you know, Gary DeMar and Kenneth Gentry and those guys where there was a resurgence of a pointing back to the law word of God. Um, so, yes, um, you can put you can put a pin there. However, I would want to make sure that it's abundantly clear that Rush Dooney, Bonson and all those guys were not coming up with a theological novum. Nothing that they were saying was new. They were actually uh, calling everybody back for a revolution back to the foundations. In Mm -hmm. other words, let's get back to what our Christian historic predecessors and ancestors have given to us as a deposit on these issues. Let's get back to Christendom and what Christendom has said about these issues throughout church history in many times and many places. Let's just get back to what the Puritans were saying. Exactly. Um, and I just want to say, too, one of the things that, that boggles my mind here is that Doreen and this pastor are having this conversation, and they're doing it under the blessings of the theonomists. Yeah. <laughs> like you're in a Western Christian culture. Exactly. Under the blessings and, and, and experiencing the blessings, not like China um, or North Korea, Uh, able to start a channel and have the conversations about Jesus and Christ as Lord and King of Kings and all these things. And you're doing it under the blessings of what the theonomists gave you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you only are doing what you're doing right now because of the blessings of the Christian worldview, the gospel itself, but also let's just be honest, those standards of justice that come from Moses um, the free, the freedom of speech, you know, all those blessings that you have that we're all holding on to. And some of them, I admit, are hanging on my thread. No question about that. But those come from the law word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, our court system today, though it is failing massively, like underneath it, if you look at what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be doing things like cross-examination and witnesses and warrants and all the rest. And that comes from the law word of God. That comes from God's judicial standards in Moses. So you can thank the Huguenots, the, the, the Covenanters, the Puritans, all of that for the blessings that you're experiencing now to do this yep. show. And those came from Moses. Um, so my point there is just to quickly say, as quickly as I can, this is not a theological novum. And I am grateful to God that what R.J., Rush Dooney and Bonson laid down in the, the 60s and 70s, and that deposit they, they gave to this generation. Many people are finally coming and going, Oh, wait, they were right. Oh, their exegesis was very <sighs> yep. solid. Oh, their, their critical analysis of the culture was so solid. And I am very glad that there is a, a massive, um, important moment for us in the church where people are saying, By what standard? Wait a minute. The unbelievers and the secularists and the humanists are imposing their ultimate and their standards. The Christian church seems silent and impotent now, but we actually have a word from God about these issues. And so by what standard Christians are asking that question? And so I'm grateful that we're having this conversation. Of course, it's disheartening to see people completely um, mischaracterize a position and um, show and I don't mean this to harm you, but just show such an epic level of ignorance on this issue and to talk about it publicly with that kind of ignorance is is disheartening for sure.
2: I mean, honestly, it seems like he, I'm not accusing him of this, but it sounds like he got his information from gotquestions.org or whatever that site is, you know what I mean? It's really bad. Because I've seen yeah. some of these, I've literally, his response is, I've seen this and right on that website, yeah. you know, when you look up this stuff. So-
1: You know, anyways. Well, I was something just to say, and and by the way, I'm not the standard here. Joy's not the standard. Luke's not the standard. But I just want to say one of the things that, that has blessed us is, is being able to admit our own ignorance, what mm-hmm. I mean by that is that people will message us all the time. Joy Joy sees more messages to us than anybody ever has. And um thank, I felt thank you, pra- Joy. pray
3: pray for her because it's sometimes... You made,
4: you made someone really mad at the Bonson conference. I'm just gonna go I and did? let you know. Really? <laughs> when you when you I think you, you said, said something bad you, word, didn't you you were like you you were telling a story about when you realized that Greg Bonson was a Presbyterian uh, and you said, Dang it. Dang and you it. said that in a Presbyterian church.
1: Dang it. (laughs) Dang
4: it. He didn't
1: appreciate
4: your joke. It's
1: it's called an exclamation. (laughs) He didn't appreciate Uh, it. Exclamatory remark. Okay. So, um, (laughs) sorry to derail. No, no, it's okay. Um, But one of the things that's been a blessing to us is to be able to, and this is important for this conversation right here, brothers and sisters, because when I say this was embarrassing, when I say this was ignorance, um, one of the things that has blessed us is when people message us and they say, Hey Jeff, can you do something on this, this here? or if i'm having a conversation publicly with someone and says hey you know could you tell me about this if i don't know and if i can't faithfully represent that side and really express to you what they believe and be able to interact with it i'm not going to try to teach you teachers yeah. incur and teachers incur the stricter judgment according to god and so i'm not going to attempt to teach people on something when i don't understand myself and so one of the things that can preserve us from these major epic embarrassing failures um, public failures here is to be able to simply say when someone says, "Hey, can you come on and talk about this?" is simply say, you know, I have questions about that. I've seen some some concerning stuff, but like I don't know enough about that to to be in an authoritative position of instruction. I can't instruct God's people on that because I just don't know. Um, and one of the things I respect greatly about pastors is like they'll be in a section of Scripture teaching through the Bible, and they get to a section and they simply say, "I'm not ready to preach on this yet." Yeah. I, I don't understand this well enough yet to teach, and so I'm not going to do it. And so in a situation like this, it would have helped to have simply said, given what he said here and the ignorance, to have simply said, I don't know enough about this position to talk about it publicly. Because because what we do when we mischaracterize somebody and their position and we say something about them or what they believe that's not true, what we actually do there is we engage in the nature of lying. mmm right? I mean, ignorance is one thing, yes, but when you say they believe this, this yeah. is what their system right, is, exactly. you're actually engaging in a nature of lying. Would Here's the question you ask yourself. Would God do that? Would God misrepresent others? Would God say things about people that is not actually true? And if your answer is, well, no, of course he wouldn't, then, then we shouldn't do it either. Mm. And that's why you have to be very cautious when someone says, can you speak on this? If you don't know, you don't know. Just simply say, I don't know. I, I'm looking into it. I don't know. Uh, I'm working on I'm working my way through that. People ask me all the time. They'll say, Hey, what do you think about this in, in Revelation? Now I actually have an opinion and but I'm not fully confident to teach on it yet. So I will simply say, I'm not gonna talk about that. I'm not gonna give you my answer on that yet because I, I'm not I'm not settled yet on that. So I'm not gonna try to teach you on it. And so I'm just I'm waiting until I until I feel confident. Sure. So. And so theonomy in, in its
0: like the simplest form, just to kind of help you understand when you hear the word. Uh, it's not a bad word. Literally, theonomy just means God's law. So, you know, namas law, theonomy, theo, God. It just means God's law. So someone says to you, would you believe in the law of God and do you believe that it's good? Well, what are you going to say that? No, (laughs) I don't believe in the law. I don't think it's good. So it's kind of a trick question,
1: right? Not a trick question. Um, It's an important question. It's a valid question. And yes, uh, theonomy comes from those two words, theos, namas, God's law. And yeah, that's, that's, what it it means, God's law. And so the question is, um, how much of God's law do you believe is abiding and relevant today? And it's not a trick question. That's important here. It's not a trick question. It's a valid question because God's law is an expression of His own character and the revelation of Himself to us. And God's law says things like I read to you at the beginning of the show today from Psalm 119. It, said th- it says things like the sum of your word is truth and all of your righteous statutes endure forever, abide forever. And so every one of them do. And so you have to be able to answer that question. Well, wait a second. If, God's, if this is a revelation of God's own character and his own standards and justice, you're saying that it no longer applies. Like it's mm-hmm. not relevant. It's mm-hmm. not abiding and relevant. Get that. It's not abiding and relevant today. And so the question is, do you believe that God's law is abiding and relevant today? And what you'll get from the modern evangelical in the West often is you get the answer, um, well, yeah, some. And you say, well, okay, which ones? And people will say things like, well, the Ten Commandments for sure. It's like, where'd you ever come up with that idea? Because you have the apostles quoting from Mosaic law that's not Ten Commandments and just assuming it's abiding relevance and validity today. They just assume it. Look, everything from judicial law with how you're supposed to handle things in the courts and receiving accusations to animal husbandry laws to the death penalty. Um, that's, and, and they just assume it. It's not just the Ten Commandments. And you don't ever have the apostles just saying, well, it's just Ten Commandments. Yeah. Um, you have to answer this question. And it's not a trick question because Jesus says in Matthew chapter five in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not even begin to think. Matthew 5, 17 through 19. Do not even begin to think. Me namasete is not stop thinking. It is me namasete. It is don't even let it start in your mind. Don't even begin the thought. No no seed of thought. Nothing. He says, don't even start thinking that I have come to destroy the law and the prophets. I have not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. And then he says... Sermon on the Mount, these are the Lord's words. Whoever, he says to people, whoever teaches people to disobey even the least of these commandments will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be great. That's from the Lord Jesus. That's that's what he said about the law of God. That's how, he, that's his perspective of the law of God. Don't even begin to think I've come to destroy it. And I think most Christians today in the West read that and say, um, d- don't think that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. I've come to destroy the law of the prophets. <laughs> Don't think I've come to destroy them, but I've come to destroy them. The law and the prophets. Mm-hmm. So it's an important conversation, not a trick question. Well, before you go real quick, like
2: this is a great point that Monson makes and by the standard is it's either God's law or some subjective man's law. Yeah. So, you know, he brings up, describe de- defines theonomy. It's either theonomy or autonomy. Those are your options.
1: God's law or self-law.
2: And he's saying self-law.
1: God's law or self-law. That's the st- it's it's you're always going to have a god, you're always going to have an ultimate. Um it's a question of which god and what ultimate. Right. And uh and it is it is ultimately theonomy or autonomy. God's law or self-law.
0: And so they'll say well you're a theonomist. I'm like, well no, I'm not a theonomist because the word actually has more meaning than just the law of God. There's a it's a system, really. And what theonomy is arguing for is that they believe that god's purpose and institution for the world is to be governed like every nation every leader every every country needs to be governed by the law of god all of the law of god right and so they would they can use some phrasing like well someone say well are we going back under the because uh, there's there's set, there's certain sections of the law of God in Moses right so you have like um your ceremonial laws and then you have the legal laws that kind of govern the nation and so they're not talking about the ceremonial laws where we're having to wear like you know curb our beards and wear certain clothes they're talking about what we call the moral journal equity of the law and uh you know an illustration of that would be things like um
1: uh, so just quickly to respond to those two things, we talked about wanting, uh, you wanting know, the government's nations to be ruled by God's law. It's important to look at what scripture says about that. In Psalm chapter 2, Old Testament, long before Jesus comes, um, God has this amazing psalm uh, about the nations raging, people plotting in vain. The kings of the earth have set themselves... And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, that's the Messiah, Jesus, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is obviously all about Jesus. And he says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. Question. That we often ask here is, do you think Jesus forgot to ask the Father? No, he didn't. Because when Jesus ascended, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he says, go therefore, because I have it all on earth today, over the kings of the earth today, over the entire world. He says, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations. And he says, baptizing them and teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. So teach them to obey Jesus. But That father says he's going to give the entire earth to Jesus as his inheritance. And he says this, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And here's what God says to the kings of the earth. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling, kiss the son or obey the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. That is the word from God to the rulers of the world that they are to obey Jesus. Why would we ever think this is a strange concept? Right? Like these theonomists, they believe like all the rulers and all the nations need to obey God's law. It's like, well, we believe that they have to come under the rule and authority of Jesus. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's going to say it later. He's going to say it. He's going to say, we believe Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you're denying theonomy? Mm Mm-hmm. Jesus is the, this is where it becomes just a pithy slogan. This is, this is what I'm always harping on. And I'm going to challenge us with this. When I say that King of Kings and Lord of Lords is just a pithy slogan for Christians to say, this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like we're shocked at the idea that, that God demands the rulers of the world to obey Jesus. He says that he does in Psalm chapter two, right? And Christ gets all the nations and they must obey. He says that. So we're so shocked by the idea that like the goal of the gospel is the whole world comes under the rule of Jesus. The knowledge of God covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. He shall have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. He's putting all of his enemies under his feet, Psalm 1101. Like we're going there. Yeah. Jesus says to go get the nations, to disciple them and baptize them and teach them to obey. And we're shocked at the idea that we we actually want the nations to obey God's law. Yeah. But that's that's just that's what the text says. Why is that shocking to us? It's almost like we believe the Great Commission is not actually going to happen, right? Like we believe the Great Commission, Jesus says, go get the nations. I have all authority on earth today. Like, you know, we say as a pithy slogan, yeah, he's king of kings today and lord of lords today, but it becomes this meaningless, suspended in midair, nothing, Like what's the consequence of all the nations trusting in Christ and coming under his Lordship? What's the consequence? Well, it could, it certainly couldn't be like justice and righteousness on the earth. It couldn't be people obeying God's law. Like it couldn't be what's what um, it couldn't be what Isaiah promises in Isaiah 42, where in Isaiah 42, one of the prophecies of the Messiah, it says, behold my servant, whom I uphold my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Listen, He will bring forth justice to the nations. There's that word justice. Hmm. Has God told us what justice is anywhere in the Bible? I think so. Yes, he has. He will not cry aloud... No, he will bring forth justice in the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. That, by the way, goes to the nature of his rule. It's not like Kim Jong-un. It's not like the CCP. It's not a top-down power thing where it's, right, like thrown down. He is this humble savior. And it says this, he will not grow, he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And oh no, oh no, oh no, it says, and the coastlands wait for his Torah, Uh-oh. his law. Where do we ever get the idea that the nations are going to come under Jesus' rule and that the law of God was going to be a constituent element of that salvific kingdom? People get saved, their hearts are transformed, they then love God's law, Ezekiel 36, heart of stone. To a heart of flesh, Jeremiah 31, 31. Now the law of God is put within the hearts of his people. It's written there now. They long to do God's law. They long to obey his statutes. The text says that one of the blessings of the kingdom of God is salvation and justice in God's law. Read Isaiah chapter 2, same prophet. Isaiah 2 says the nations are going to come up to God's mountain. He's going to draw them up. And it says the Torah, the law of God, is going to go forth from the people of God. So the Bible has a perspective of the kingdom and rule of Jesus that's not just saving people for heaven, but it's also establishing justice and righteousness on the earth. And if you ask the question, by what standard is that justice? Well, God's already answered that. He's already given us his revelation. God's told us what his law is. And it says in Psalm 119 that every one of his righteous statutes is forever. <laughs> so the question is really, is God's law abiding and relevant today in the new covenants? That's what we have to answer.
2: Yeah. And I was just going to say, it's hard to, it's going to be hard to respond to this succinctly because he's kind of all over the place. And, and as he goes, there's more layers. He's it, get, it gets worse. Yeah. But, um, I think the answer, the question you're asking the question, why? Like, well, it's, this is why eschatology matters yeah. because what we find out towards the end is that he's two kingdom. He doesn't believe that Christ is ruling right now. He doesn't believe we're in Christ's kingdom so that, um, he can say Christ is Lord of Lords or King of King and Lord of Lords, but now and not yet is what he would probably say. So like,
1: and he means now, not really.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so he's still waiting for, you know, Christ to come and establish his kingdom. So, He's looking at this completely differently. You right. know, he said all the stuff we're saying, which we can clearly demonstrate from Scripture, we're in that time. He's looking at it as if it's, we're not there yet. It's, gonna it's in come. the future, exactly. It's in the future, yeah. And um, yeah, so it's uh, um, I'll I'll stop there because I don't want to. There's so much more. There's, yeah, it's coming. I, I will just say that he actually has a pretty good understanding of the threefold law.
1: Yeah, civil, ceremonial, yeah. and judicial. He understands that correctly. Uh, sorry, moral.
2: Yeah. Moral. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, although they conflate,
1: well, there's an moral issue and, and well, civil, well, there, there's, there's an issue here and I'll just say this very important because this, this becomes one of the central issues when you talk about the threefold division of the law, civil, ceremonial and moral. Um, it's very important that we understand that there are still moral components and demands in the judicial that's yeah. very important. Yeah, it's yeah. Because yeah. people love to cast off God's judicial yeah, law and they'll say, well, that was just for Israel, theocratic kingdom, in Israel. And it's like, well, wait a second. God actually specifies that the reason for those standards of justice is because that's what justice is. God's concerned with property rights, God's concerned with victims' rights. And so when God gives. Uh, judicial law it's because that's the righteous and just standard that's moral so just quickly so we all catch this when you divide the law up generally into civil ceremonial and moral it's very important when you look at the, the civil and say well that's passed away it's like whoa wait a second we still live in a fallen world and people still steal mm-hmm. we still live in a fallen world and people are still raping we still live in a fallen world where people are um Abusing people's property rights, and so the question is: Is by what standard today do you respond to that? Do you just say, "Oh, we're saved now, and so we have no concern for our neighbor and victims? We we won't concern ourselves with victims' rights. Like if somebody's raped as a Christian church, we won't have an answer, right? We won't really have an answer of what's just. Well, God had an answer. Hmm he actually said what to do like here's how you preserve the victim here's how you establish justice like it, it, here's here's i think the most obvious way we can see that there are moral components to god's judicial law very very important here today there are some places and we all know this we've heard this where if you steal something like a loaf of bread they'll cut your entire hand off now i have a question is that immoral is it immoral like if, if somebody steals a loaf of bread Is it immoral to disfigure and maim a human being because of a loaf of bread? Is it immoral? My response to that is yes. That's the height of immorality. You're going to maim somebody so they can't work for the rest of their lives. They're never going to be able to function like a regular human being again because you've cut their hand off. That's a moral issue. So when we talk about the judicial law and God's response to stealing from neighbor, when he upholds victim rights, he says, this is how you're supposed to repay after theft. He does it in a way that brings reconciliation. He does it in a way that preserves the victim's rights. And he does it in a way where that person who stole can now come back to society whole again, because they've now made it right. And so that's a moral issue. It's very moral. How about how you receive accusations? That's part of God's judicial law. Don't receive an accusation against somebody unless there's what? Two or three witnesses. What's that from? God's Mosaic law. What's that quoted? Who quotes that? Jesus quotes it in Matthew 18. And guess who else quotes it? The Apostle Paul quotes it after the resurrection and after the ascension of Christ when the new covenant is in effect. He says, don't receive any accusation against an elder unless it's in the base of two to three witnesses. Where's he getting that from? He's getting that from the Mosaic legislation. Mm -hmm. He gets that from Moses. And where's that from? That's Judicial. That's the courts. That's how you handle accusations in the courts. That's a moral issue. It's a moral issue. So it's very important that when we sh- we divide the law up for gen- general clarity into civil, ceremonial, and moral, we don't actually divide them so sharply that we lose sight of the fact that God's the one who gave these standards. And he says this is just civilly. Yeah. So.
2: One more quick thing. Sorry.
1: <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> We're not going to get very far.
2: Um, this is just important, just kind of an overarching theme that's important to, to point out here at the beginning but um colossians one says that christ came to reconcile all things to himself all things so from our position we're like yeah that means governments governments are included in all things um and i think as you know i know growing up in a dispensational premio church like you know we we become as christians we you know we we only be we don't become only concerned with salvation for for the individual you know but then in first john it says that uh christ came to destroy the works of satan mm-hmm. right like that was his purpose was to destroy the works of satan um then you know what's a work of satan
1: marxism yeah you know what's a work of satan China. injustice in the courts yeah
2: Exactly. Those are all works of Satan. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Like when a guy gets on death row, falsely accused without biblical standards of evidence, and he gets executed as an innocent man because they did not follow God's standards, that's evil. Mm -hmm. That's of the devil. That is injustice. And so Christians have to be concerned because it's a love for neighbor issue. Like, if, if you want to say that we can just do this willy nilly and just do it a, a, as autonomy and say so we just make up these, these standards along the way, well, then you're abandoning God's own revelation of what is just to do mm-hmm. in that situation. And so people get hurt. If you love your neighbor, you'll love the law of God. And I'm going to yeah. get to that in a second because something is said here in a moment. I want to make sure we correct it. So,
0: Israel was it was uh, against the law, it was against scripture to um, not have a fence on your rooftop. And the reason was, is that it's really hot in Israel. <laughs> and so they go up on the rooftops to you know get cooled off and um, your neighbor could fall off your roof. And that and that was uh, irresponsible of you. And so there was a law that you had to have. And so the
2: general equity of that would be just a current. We that. have like building codes here. And you- it, there wasn't a law that you had to have. But if you didn't have one and someone died, you were responsible.
1: That's right. So, yeah, yeah. It, w- it didn't work the way we do it today. Um back it it was the the law is is love your neighbor and preserve human life like that's the (laughs) this was amazing to me when someone says like i don't want theonomy today it's like so you don't want the love for neighbor principle and preservation of human life principle because that's what the law of god and that's what it's wrapped around and uh but yeah that's what luke is saying is exactly right um the the command was to put the parapet around the roof of your house to protect people from falling off and hurting themselves. And so if you did not have the parapet there, if you ignored God's standard there and his principle there of preservation of human life, if somebody fell off, you'd be held accountable. Right? And so question, do we want that today? Yeah. Yeah, people that have pools in their backyards. It's the
2: first thing I did when I bought my house. Or
1: deep wells, you know, you don't want kids falling in. Yeah. What's, what's the goal? You preserve human life. You do what you can to protect and preserve human life. And so yeah, I agree. Pastor Luke gets a house. He's got a pool. The first thing he does is he wants to say, "I know God has spoken to this. Preserve human life." Luke's built Luke builds a fence around his pool. To protect innocent human life and so he's following the general equity of god's law the general equity of god's law that principle will go across the board and you're right you could put it in building codes and all the rest but that principle is still abiding and relevant today that mm-hmm. law endures forever mm-hmm. see
0: in the united states to kind of keep us safe right and protected um but they would say that the the, the bible should be governing Everything in the United States or any country, and and that would include sexual conducts, right? So the way in which, um, if someone cheated on their wife, then that is not just you know an unfortunate mishap within our culture. That should be um, that should be dealt with by the law of
1: God. Yeah, of course we want the law of God to be honored and upheld in society. I'm honestly surprised that I have to say that.
3: <laughs> that well, it's- what? necessary I mean to maybe say. I'll just
4: wait for him to finish his
1: well
3: and
4: sentence and, uh, before I go on but I do think that I think that men that cheat on their wives should be
3: punished punished for that amen <laughs> I do
4: well no that, I do really actually think that let's you and I
1: engage this conversation because this is very important so let's go ahead and do it now mm-hmm. so um when 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 this pastor says um you know they believe that the law of God should govern society and the standard should be there for even things like sexual conduct brother that's happening today with the secularists like for example today in most states in the union in america if you have sex with an animal you'll be punished for it there was actually it wasn't very long ago i think i even mentioned on an episode before that there was a a firefighter here um in mesa um Mm -hmm. who was caught um in like a barn having sex with an animal and it was all over the news and everything else because you know it's still against the law in Mesa to have sex with animals. And by the way, where's that come from? It comes from the law Right, God.
4: right. If that um, wasn't ever an it's, arbitrary it's, standard that let,
1: someone was just like, Oh, that's wrong. Let's just say this, it's not illegal everywhere. Um, but uh, we still have uh we still have sexual crimes. In this nation. So, for example, in other words, it, th- this is an unavoidable thing. There's still, because we're all in the image of God, things that are sexual no nos. Now, as a secularist continue to rule and continue to imp- impose their ultimates, um, those
3: sexual no nos will get less and less. But consider well, this, for and a they're second. based off of their own standard Autonomy. or Some sort of idea of what's best for yeah. society. Right. Or- so, for right now, in, in America, uh, pedophilia is still a crime. You'll you'll go to jail for
1: it, right? I don't know how much longer. Rape is still a crime in America. You'll mm-hmm. you'll go to jail for it,
4: not for very long, right?
1: But <laughs> but uh, having sex with animals in in many places is still a crime, and you'll go to jail for it. So in other words, this problem of. Uh, um, will will we address sexual crimes is something it's a conversation that's happening today and the question that has to be asked here is by what standard do Mm -hmm. you define something as a sexual crime because this is very important it wasn't very long ago in this very nation where you had public service announcements about homosexuality and the sin and crime of homosexuality homosexuality on the books today in some states homosexuality is still considered a crime It all, of course, comes from a Christian worldview and the biblical standards and all those things. But the point is, is that you have things that are considered sexual crimes. So in a nation that turns to Jesus, the question is, by what standard will they define something as a sexual crime? That's the the question. And so you can't say willy-nilly, well, I like over here these standards, like having sex with animals, like that's that should clearly still be a crime Uh, obviously gross god says that it is so i definitely want that there or how about rape yeah god says rape is a sexual crime we want that but then this is where the real test comes what about the rest what about adultery what about what about adultery heterosexual adultery what about homosexuality Mm -hmm. and the question is is by what standard will you address that how will you address it so we can't do this as like the boogeyman and, I, and by the way, we should be offended, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but we should be offended by the boogeyman <laughs> where we, August, come here. Come here. You can come in. Hey, buddy. My, my son just, uh, he walked in here. He came wandering around with his sweet little eyes. Come here. <laughs> I'm doing my show. I'm doing my show. He thinks what I do for work is make juice because we have a juicer here. So he's like, oh, now he's going to work. Is he making juice? Come here. <laughs> He thinks you work at Whole Foods at the juice bar. <laughs> Christine's actually the one that makes all the juice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Christine
3: makes the juice. Hi, August. Hi. How's it going? What's up, dude? Hi.
1: Oh, this morning we were watching the Advent. We were watching the Advent mm. series as a family. And um, he's sitting there with us. And he's like acting like he's not paying attention. But I'm talking on the Advent thing. And um, I said, you know, God created Adam and then Eve. And Eve's my granddaughter's oh, name. Oh, yeah. Eve's my granddaughter's name. And so he says... He goes, mom, why is that man, my dad,
3: saying Eve? He goes, that man, my dad. (laughs) There's a lot to figure out for him in a moment like that. So like you're here with me, but also there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. Let's onward and let's go.
0: How the law of God deals with it, which, you know, adultery in Israel, that would be death so same thing for things
1: that was the farthest end yes was was death but you can see instances we can have this conversation later not to get too far field uh but david king of israel um he didn't get the death penalty
0: Mm -hmm. homosexuality so to defend the because i would want someone to defend me because like for instance you know i'm I'm a i'm a baptist pastor but not all baptists say the same things right sure absolutely So, so it's like if someone says all baptists believe this i'm like i don't (laughs) you know so not all theonomists are going to agree on my definition all theonomists are going to agree that the law of god should govern sorry should govern um all nations the
1: application that's true
4: yeah i guess i'm just still maybe this just (laughs) maybe all this speaks to is how much of a theonomist i am but i'm just like why wouldn't you want someone who cheated on their wife to be punished
1: <laughs> should no question well, we dissolve- should it-, it be a crime for a man or a woman to commit adultery should that be considered a sexual crime and yes. if you ask if you answer by what standard god said yeah god not only says that that's a crime but he also says that rape's a crime. Mm-hmm. He also says yeah. that, of course, uh, he he says, uh, um, of course, you would put in there molestation mm-hmm. and all, all the rest of that kind of sexual abuse, and sex with animals is a crime. But yeah, why are we? Why are we saying, God? I know you said this is a crime, but we don't think it should be a crime. Well, there's,
4: the, I think that what it dissolves into is pra- a lot of pragmatism, which yeah. is like we, especially now, we don't live in a. Uh, maybe it was easier to do the whole theonomy thing when our culture was more Christian or accepting, but now people don't do people do, people don't think it's wrong mm-hmm. to cheat on your wife or they think it's wrong but like you it's know not it's not really hurting anyone yeah. except for it does violence to a marriage covenant, but we don't have well, we don't have any conscience destroys of what, families destroys
2: society no well, that's you mean, like, like a mishap or something like that like, <laughs> yeah. well
4: and yeah that's the thing I mean obviously it speaks a lot to our culture. But really what you're getting to is you can't, you can't say that that is the standard for everyone because not everyone believes that that mm-hmm. is the standard. If I don't believe that cheating is wrong, then cheating shouldn't be wrong. And, mm-hmm. and then that means we have to change the law in this pragmatic way to work for our society. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, yeah. I just would say what we need to do
3: is make that our culture's standard. Well, God says is just. Right, he says is righteous. Right. He says is holy, right and true, right and and
1: and um
4: and he created it. <laughs> He's the one that says,
3: yeah, that it's right. righteous it's and true. I mean, even
4: wrong. in terms of marriage, like he and I, aside from everything else that was created by him, uh, marriage. So he would be the one that would say, "This is what a marriage is. This is how you can defile a marriage. These are the consequences for defiling a marriage." And I don't um i don't accept the definition Mm. of unbelieving people when it comes to what constitutes violence against a marriage covenant what if if he's marriage? if he's
1: king of kings then he has authority and he has authority to define
4: and I, i i think a lot of it and you see this a lot with um conversations around the whole justice for sexual assault victims but really it comes down to like well i feel like we tried that and it's still happening so obviously it doesn't work it doesn't work in our culture because people are still mm. homosexual, people are still cheating on their wives, and so it doesn't work. So we have to find, we have to like bridge the gap mm. and do something that's kind of half Bible, half realistic. Like it's not, it's not realistic that people would follow the Bible, but that's not what the Bible actually says.
1: There's a verse, very important, it goes to what you're saying here, mm-hmm. Hebrews 2.2. 2. Okay, so this is New Testament post-cross, post-resurrection, post-ascension, inspired word from God. Hebrews 2.2. 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, that's God's word in the past, God's law, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. Every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. What's that saying? New Testament inspired revelation from God says that what God gave as the standards of justice was a just reward. Mm. So the question is, are those things still happening today? All the things that God addresses in his law, the theft, the rape, manslaughter, the murder, all that stuff. God, that's still happening today. Well, the writer of Hebrews says that what they received was a just reward. So, God's law there in the New Testament is being called just. It is justice. That is a just reward. And if God has a civil magistrate that's supposed to obey him and be his servant and wield a sword of justice, which sort of justice do you want them to wield? This standard of justice or some other autonomous standard of justice, some other inconsistent standard of justice? Yeah. And so when you bring up like, yeah, I would want that kind of infidelity to be considered a crime in our society because God says it is, the text says that that crime, that seeing it as a crime was a just recompense. It was a just reward for that kind of behavior. And it's still happening today. So what do we want done today? Injustice or justice?
4: Well, and I think that this is the weird sort of half answer to that question is just like, well, I guess it's it's responding to a question with another question, but it's like, so you really think that Everyone who cheats, I think that's really what it is, is it's like there is there's an ignorance, there's an inability to comprehend because this is not what's being taught in most churches. And so it's like you really think that everyone who's cheated should have to go have a trial and like potentially maybe even be put to death. Mm. Like, do
3: you really, really think that? Mm hmm. Yeah, it's
4: what God really yeah. said. That's what He said.
3: It's what He said. That's the farthest. That, that's the the farthest extreme of that right. penalty. Yes, right. Yes. but that
4: just that shows how far we've gotten. We we. It's like yeah. what it 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 wouldn't, but it just wouldn't make sense to kill all those people for just whatever. Yeah, and it's like, well, it's not just whatever though. That's yeah. actually, I I mean, I and you could, uh, I think that it speaks to the importance. Like him, him uh, God God declaring a just reward speaks to... Th- there's a variety of different just rewards that are given in the mm. law. Mm. Yeah. And that speaks to the importance and the violation. The consequence speaks to the severity of the violation.
1: Well, uh, what you're describing here is spoken about in Ecclesiastes 8.11. Ecclesiastes 8.11. The text says this. Because the sentence of evil... Against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Right. In other words, God's word says because you don't actually punish things rightly. Right. People's hearts are actually emboldened to do more evil. Right. And so you, does that, does that, our current criminal justice, describe where we're at? Yeah. Is that, we look at a situation today and you're like, this is madness. Like the stuff, of course, the riots and everything that broke out during COVID, all that stuff. You're like, these people are mad. They got madness in their hearts. And it's like, yeah. Because we have abandoned God's standards to, of, of what is evil and punishing evil and loving neighbor because we've abandoned it. Now you look at the chaos and it's like, well, it's Christ or chaos. Mm-hmm. It's Christ or chaos. Yes. Mm-hmm. If, if you abandon God's standards and what he says is just and punishment, then you're going to have chaos ensue. And so when someone says to me, like, you really think that that should be the standard? I'm going to say, yeah, because I love my neighbor. I'm commanded to love my neighbor, and the law and the prophets, and we're gonna to get to this in a moment. There's more said here. It's gonna get it's gonna get different. We're kind of into the this. law and the prophets are built upon love for God and love for neighbor. Yeah. Doreen, it's not just the Ten Commandments. It's the law and the prophets are built upon love for God, love for neighbor. In other words, all the law of God, all the prophets are love God, love neighbor. Not just the Ten Commandments. That means that God's judicial standard about Adultery, about rape, about slavery, all those things is about loving God and loving neighbor, mm. all of them. So if you believe that we should love God and love neighbor, you just give me the entire law of God because the Lord of glory said that all the law and the prophets are built upon love for God and love for neighbor. So remove God's judicial standards and you're removing the standard for loving God and loving neighbor. Very important.
2: Well, I was just going to say, hey, where there's no prophetic vision the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law very important uh reference that'd be proverbs twenty nine eighteen. there you go
0: so that's true of all theonomists so that that part is true like we could say all baptists believe in the bible sure we agree with that <laughs> so all theonists believe that the law of god should be governing now at what level and what laws they disagree on and what punishment so some would say absolutely it needs to be held down all the way down to stoning so if you're caught in adultery you need to be stoned if you're homosexual you need to be stoned some would say that um it there needs to be punishment and that ne- it is of death because it's a death punishment kind of a situation so that's and, and um there, it's very complicated and there's a lot more to it but the the general idea of it is is that like the argument is when it says in Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples, right? Mm-hmm. And then they say, teaching the nations all things, and that all things would include, all things that I've, I've taught you, mm-hmm. that would mean the law. So they would say the gospel, right? Jesus saves you, and then you're now going to be governed by the law, which, you know, both of us who are Christians and anyone who's a Christian, um, the law doesn't go away once you're a believer. Right. It just changes the way in which you interact with it, right? Mm-hmm. So the law before was, you, if you want to earn God's uh, favor, then perfectly obey the law. James right. James says if you uh, fail in one area of the law, you fail in all areas of the law. So no one's ever tried to do that because if you do, you're going to fail.
1: I'm sorry. That was really bad. The law was never given so that people could earn God's favor. Yeah. There was never a time in redemptive history where God gave the law as a means of salvation or earning his favor. That was, that was never true. Um, no one was ever saved through the law or attempting to be saved by the law. Romans chapters 1 through 5 make it very clear from the inspired apostle, especially chapters 3 and 4, that the law can justify nobody, never could. But the law will be used in Romans 3, it says, to shut the whole world up to the whole world to have their mouth closed before God. Which law? That's after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. He's saying the law that cannot justify you will be the same law that God uses to condemn and silence the nations. That's after the ascension of Jesus. The same law that cannot justify us before God, and never will and never could, that same law will be used to silence to silence the entire world. Can't justify you, but God will use it to condemn the world, to show them their sin, right? And it's the same law in Romans 3.31 that Paul says, do we then make void the law through faith? And the answer is absolutely not. We actually, because of this faith, because of justification by faith, we establish the law. Which, Paul, which law is Paul talking about there? The same law that can't could never justify you is the same law that Christians now uphold and establish. It can't justify you. God will use it to condemn the world. And now Christians uphold the law. Which law? The same law that cannot justify you is the law that Christians do not void, but now we actually establish. That's what the text says. And then it goes further to say that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. And he says the whole point of Paul's argument of justification through faith is Father Abraham. When was he justified? Genesis 15, 6. He believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. When? Before circumcision, before Isaac was on the altar, 20 years before at least, and hundreds of, year before, hundreds of years before the law was given. Abraham believed God and was credited to him for righteousness, and so all of Abraham's descendants have been justified through faith, the same faith as Father Abraham. Before circumcision, before any works of law, before Isaac on the altar, before the law of God was given on Sinai. Abraham, by faith, that's it. And so the law was never given as a means of of earning favor with God. Actually, this needs to be said. Very important. In terms of this being a blessing uh, to the church. um, Deuteronomy chapter 4. This is so critical in this discussion. Deuteronomy chapter 4. This is what God says about his law. He says, when he gives his law, he says something very different about it than most evangelicals in the West will believe today. Deuteronomy four, verse one. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, that the Lord, the God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord, your God, that I commanded you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baalpur, um... Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering and to take possession of it. Here's what he says Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him and here it is and what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today you see what's often said about the law of God by evangelicals in the West today is to say, like, oh, that law stuff, like, we're not under that anymore. Like, that's just harsh, really awful law. That's all done. Like, we're just in this place of grace now. Um, Here's what the Bible teaches. It was always grace. It was always faith. And the law of God, yes, exposes your sin. It silences you. But also, guess what? God says, this is your wisdom and understanding on the side of the peoples. And they're going to say, man, that is righteous. That is just, like the nations are supposed to pour into Israel going, this is a place that has statutes and rules so righteous. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about the law of God like that. We talk about it as this awful thing in the past and thank God we're out from under that and that thing was just only condemning and only harsh, all those things. That's not what God says. He says this was righteous. He says this is going to be their wisdom and understanding and the people are going to be saying, wow, look at that righteousness. Look at that. Look at those just standards. I want to live in a nation with that kind of liberty. I want to live in a nation with that kind of justice. It seems to me that we actually have a different way of talking about the law of God than God does in His law.
2: And I, just real quickly, I'm going to let you
1: have that conversation. while I? Uh, yeah.
2: So I'm. Uh, I was. I'm glad that he mentioned all of the Great Commission, although he didn't quite get it exactly right. But um, later on, he's going to leave off the last part. So it's us go make teach go make disciples, baptize them, teach them all that I have commanded, not, as he says, I think he says, all that I taught or something like that. It's all that, it's his commands, all that he has commanded. That's what we're supposed to do is teach. And that's an important aspect, which I don't even know if today, if we're going to have time to get into all that, but (laughs) um, because it's going to come up again later um, in this this conversation. Um, But I'm glad he brought it up. Um, But the other thing I was going to say too is, he says, well this is what Theonemus would say that is, but doesn't really tell us what he thinks it means. Um then he gets into the to the law here. So my question is what what does he think that those commands are? Does he ever are? get He doesn't ever Does he ever get into no, he that? Doesn't come back he to
4: doesn't that. does he get into like his standard or what?
2: No, I don't think so, no. He believes. Yeah. So my question would be what is what does he think that means? Um it's important because again it's going to come it's going to come up several times actually later but um that was my point i was gonna make and he's still the
4: bathroom, so. <laughs> um i was gonna uh do you do you think that people just legitimately believe that this wouldn't work like there's that they're just like limited in yeah. their discipleship regarding the law that they just don't think i i don't know i don't i don't have a ton of uh, interactions about theonomy specifically, yeah. um, but I, I do feel like I think that there's lots of just misunderstandings about how, the like even trials, like there being a trial oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 or yeah. there being um, a difference between a uh, sin that has legal consequences yeah. versus a sin that doesn't and D-
1: difference between sins and crimes well that's important because right. that's going to come up later it comes well up and they, even, they even just the, um, even just,
4: uh, the standard for how to say someone is guilty Mm -hmm, uh, and the amount of evidence required. I feel like there's just, it's, I guess maybe what I'm saying is, I think we, there is so much of God's law in our current system, though it's very, very flawed now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because we've sort of given up, given it up. But I think people think that we came to these conclusions on our own instead of getting them Mm -hmm. from, I do think that's a huge part of the, the issue Eng- english
1: not understand where it came from uh english common law built upon yeah. the law of god i'll get into that later too. The, the christians the christians that fought yeah. uh to get these these standards and these statutes into the law like people you're right i mean you're exactly right the people think that like they assume like we just came up with this and it's great it's
4: wrong to murder right. we figured that out at some point <laughs> yeah. that it's it's wrong and hurtful and and violates something a person and a fit fa- in their family mm-hmm. so we should make that there should be a punishment for doing that. And then, but if, I don't know if you follow that, that, that logic, that's how we get to where we are now. Um, well, it, where we just, I mean, we just tarry and hem and haw over what the just punishment for someone who has murdered someone is. And, mm-hmm. and if they're good, they can get out in three years. And if they were young, they can get out in no time. And, yeah.
1: My, 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 my high school girlfriend was raped on her bathroom floor at her birthday party. And um, the guy was out in six months.
4: Yeah, it was actually, it was interesting because you can actually, um, the uh, the sentence for threatening, not even actually committing a crime against an official, a government official, um, is more than most rapists
3: yeah yeah it's,
1: yeah it can be serious and you know i want to say this like in terms of like theonomic principles and the law of god applied to society um you should thank god for theonomy because it's what the christian abolitionists used to actually put um uh slavery um under the feet of jesus mm. um they fought against uh
4: well that's a great example i feel like we just a lot of people think well and then we just realized that slavery was actually
3: bad right and then we were like some people are like, "We got to stop this guys right yeah, And then there was a war, and yeah. then <laughs> William in England, William Wilberforce was directly
1: appealing to God's law, right. And the Christian abolitionists who were fighting against slavery in the South and north for a long time were preaching the gospel. And they were calling to repentance on the basis of Mosaic legislation. They were saying, God's law says if you kidnap and enslave somebody, you deserve the death penalty. That's what they were using. And so that's that's how, that's what changed the minds of the culture to finally get there was they were arguing, hey, we're supposedly a Christian nation and we are violating God's mm-hmm. law right. here massively. And let me tell you what they were appealing to. They were appealing to... Mosaic legislation. God's and they law. weren't
4: saying, well, there's a bunch of people who own slaves, so it would never work for us to say that that's unjust. No, they
1: were saying the, pla- they were- they were saying the plantation owners, if they're going to keep engaging in it, deserve capital punishment. That's mm-hmm. what they're saying. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So the law is meant to show us our sin. You know what, God? I am condemned before you. We like that. Part. We we don't like that part of the law at all. Now I am cleansed and I have Jesus' righteousness now the law, as Paul says, becomes our tutor, becomes our guide. It directs us. It can't condemn us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but now it can guide us, can direct us. That's what we call the third use of the law.
1: Okay. Can it? Can it guide us in questions of justice and righteousness in society? Can it guide us in that way? Because Ezekiel 36, one of the promises of the new covenant is God says he's going to sprinkle clean water on us, so we'll be clean. He'll cleanse us of all of our idols, who remove a heart of stone and give a heart of flesh. And he says that I will put my spirit within you. And he says, I will cause you to observe my statutes. That's Ezekiel 36. Yeah. What statutes do you think God was referring to in Ezekiel 36 with an Old Testament monotheistic Jew? He says, I'll put my spirit within you and I will cause you to observe my statutes. It actually sounds like Jeremiah 31, 31. It actually sounds like Isaiah chapter two. It actually sounds like Isaiah 42, where God promises that the law is a constituent element of the new covenant itself. It's just in a new way where we have the spirit of God indwelling us. It's on our hearts. We desire, we long for this, but yeah, but which, which Torah, which law is going to go forth from the people of God, do you think Mm -hmm. in the new covenant? God seems pretty clear in his word. Well, this is where I think they start to conflate the two a little bit. This is where they starts yeah. to get... When I said embarrassing, yeah. this is where when they start to give more definitions, this is where it gets embarrassing. Because
2: yes, the, the moral law, that's the purpose of the moral law, is what he just described. But then how do you apply the moral law? You know, where do the across, consequences? Across the board. Exactly. Yeah, and, because, and, yeah.
1: yeah judi- because you're right. The judicial yeah. law actually is telling you how to love your neighbor. This is the proper way to love your neighbor right. when there's a crime. So there is moral law... Around, inside of the judicial law, like how you're to love your neighbor. Yeah. So, so first, we we everybody. have the
5: we have the ten commandments that are still for today. Jesus was very clear that love yep. God and love your neighbor. All of the Ten Commandments hang on those two.
1: This is a big one. Yeah. This is a big one. Uh Doreen, I love you, sister. I, I really do. I, I have a lot of affection for Doreen. Doreen, this this is you were wrong here. Jesus didn't say that all the Ten Commandments were based upon love for God, love for neighbor. Just read the text. All of the law and the prophets, the whole law and prophets were built upon love for God and love for neighbor, not just the Ten Commandments. Yes, when you look at the Ten Commandments, you see love God and you see love neighbor. And then the rest of the law that explains what to do if somebody violates those laws is also how you love God and love neighbor. So if you believe that love God and love neighbor is still relevant in the new covenant, then you should understand that that command to love God and love neighbor comes from Mosaic legislation, first and foremost. In other words, love God, love neighbor, Jesus was quoting from, ready? Leviticus. <laughs> he was quoting from Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. That is in Leviticus. And so love God, love neighbor is the Mosaic legislation. And Jesus says all of the law and the prophets are built upon love for God and love for neighbor. In other words, how you punish the rapist is in large measure going to be based upon your love for God and love for neighbor. Because God defines how. Mm. How you punish the thief is going to be based upon love for God and love for neighbor. And so, all the law and the prophets, Doreen, not just the Ten Commandments, you misquoted it there. It's all the law and the prophets are built upon love for God and love for neighbor.
5: Mm-hmm. Right? So, we've got that. And then the ceremonial laws, where we you're talking about the not mixing uh, fabrics, the shellfish, that was fulfilled by Jesus on the cross.
0: Right. And those had a specific purpose for, na- for the nation of Israel that was fulfilled.
5: Right. And then you have.
1: Can we talk about that first, just briefly? Mm-hmm. Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we typically refer to that as the Holiness Code, okay? The Holiness Code, and they were laws that were given to Israel that were essentially training wheels to teach them to be separate and not to engage in syncretism and be like the surrounding nations. So, what did God do? He gave them specific ways for them to essentially live and act out their separateness from the paganism and the unrighteous societies around them. So, God literally put it into their clothing and their food. You were to be so separate from the pagan nations, so separate and not engage in any syncretism that it's supposed to be in your clothes. You don't mix fibers. What did that teach them? Don't blend with the surrounding nations. Don't do what they do. Don't adopt their practices. Don't don't uphold their unrighteous statutes. You do not blend, and so the fabrics were supposed to teach them as training wheels, not to blend with the practices of the pagan nations around them. They were supposed to eat differently, look differently, and because because why they were a separate nation. So here's what's important: the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, says that that holiness code now doesn't apply in the same way in the New Covenant administration. Why? Because now we've got Jews and Gentiles coming together in one body, and so the food and dietary restrictions, those don't apply in the same way anymore. Neither does the clothing stuff. But guess what? That law about the clothing, about the food, is still abiding and relevant today. Not in the same way, but we are still to be separate as God's people. We are still not to be blending with the pagan nations around us. We're still not to be adopting their practices. So guess what? even the equity and principle behind those holiness code legislative um commands that still abides for the new covenant believer not in the same way i i ate bacon this morning i think i ate so much bacon i forget when i ate it um uh <laughs> The it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't. It's not the same in their new covenant administration. But guess what? It still applies. And the apostle Paul says the same thing about the ceremonial laws and the other things that they were doing in terms of how they would actually do do a practice of of sweeping the yeast or, or the stuff out of their house. You're not to celebrate it in the same way, but it's still abiding and relevant because we're to purge ourselves of all that sin and all that malice and all that stuff out of our lives, it's still an abiding law. It's not done in the same way the New Covenant administration, but the law still abides. And guess what else still still abides? Um, We don't have a temple anymore. We don't have a priest anymore. We don't have yearly Day of Atonements anymore. We don't have any of those things anymore. But guess what? We still have a temple. We still have a high priest. We still have a sacrifice. Guess what? Uh, We're not practicing blood atonement anymore today. We're not rehearsing it every year. But guess what? Blood atonement is still abiding and relevant in the new covenant. It's just a once for all sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And that's true for the new covenant, but it was still a, it's a once for all sacrifice. So when someone's like, yeah, we just don't do this stuff anymore. It's like, yeah, it's not the same way anymore, but every bit of that is still abiding and relevant in a new covenant. It's just not in the same in this administration. We still have a temple. We still have a high priest. We still have a sacrifice. We still have blood atonement. We still have to be separate from the surrounding nations. All of God's law and his righteous statutes endure forever. It doesn't mean that all of them are done in the same way, but God hasn't tossed his law aside. Like, yeah, I revealed that to you. Yeah, that mattered to me. And and yeah, that was just, but in the new covenant, it's all olly, olly oxen free. It's just every man for himself. You can just do whatever you please. <laughs>
2: whatever well, you feel like. Well, those all pointed to Christ, right? And yeah. so when Christ says in Matthew, did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, there you go. He fulfilled those laws, but he clearly says, I didn't come to be done with the law, to abolish it, to end it. I fulfilled it. And that's what he's talking about. He brought
1: it to its proper yeah. place.
4: A uh, quick note. I think that holiness code sounds like the name of like a circa 90s hip hop, Christian hip hop group. Yeah,
1: yeah it does holiness code, holiness y'all. Code. <laughs> Side note. Just want to say, that's a great name. You're welcome. If you're
4: looking, some of you out there are looking so, for, there so you go. Might be
1: some denim involved
2: in you're that. You're trying to start a group. Right.
1: Holiness code. You're welcome. You heard it from the girl
5: mosaic laws that you're talking about where uh who how how to live with each other basically yeah those Le- are called like judicial laws. right yeah.
0: judicial laws
5: pastor do you believe the judicial laws of moses are still for today in addition to the ten commandments
0: no so the judicial laws had a specific purpose and reason to govern the nation of israel right so if we just want to step back and look at it from a scriptural standpoint Um, What is what is what's the promise that God makes to Abraham like from you will come a great nation and from this nation, I will bless the whole world. And what he means is I'm bringing you the the person, which is Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so when this nation is formulated and then God fulfills all of these promises and the Messiah comes and the Messiah dies and he rises again, the purpose behind the nation and the temple. Remember when the temple veil rips into and the writer of Hebrews says "We, we no longer need the temple we no longer need this division because the true israel jesus has come right so jesus fulfilled the very purpose of israel as a nation so the there's it's no longer jew and gentile we are all one nation that is uh coming together into god's kingdom
1: <laughs> did you hear that you heard that contradiction there's several things there i'll let you go first <laughs> um okay so first of all pastor you're making claims that you're not backing up with scripture. Yeah. Like you're saying like, well, this is, this is for the theocratic King of Israel. That's why the law was given. It's just for that. But he's no, he's just done with Israel now. So that's, that's all gone away. I would say back it up with scripture. And he says basically like, because there's no longer a nation of Israel, these laws don't matter anymore to God. They're, they're not relevant anymore in the new covenants. He says, because now he's brought Jews and Gentiles together into one nation. What nation? Okay, so if, if, we, if we are, you know, this Israel of God, as Paul refers to the church as the Israel of God, he just does, read Galatians, he refers to the church as the Israel of God, that's Jews and Gentiles into one body, they're the Israel of God. If the Israel of God still exists, if we've all been grafted into Israel, we can do this for days too, let's go to Romans, the Gentiles have been grafted into Israel. If, we've still got, if we still have an Israel in the New Covenant, um, does the law of God apply to that nation? Because you admit that um, he had it for his nation and for his people, and now we've got Jews and Gentiles into one body. So if the Jews and Gentiles now are in one body, and as you said, one we're like one nation together now, are we no longer to uphold God's righteous statutes and what he revealed about his law now that we've been grafted in, in, into Israel? And also... This whole idea, and I said it, you know, you're making claims that you're not backing up with Scripture. This whole idea that in the new covenant, the law of God's no longer going to be abiding and relevant... Uh, violates what God says he's going to do in Isaiah chapter 2, where it says the Torah, the law of God, is going to go forth in the people of God. It violates what God says he's going to do in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, um, where he's going to establish justice and righteousness uh, forevermore. It violates what God says he's going to do in Isaiah chapter 42, where the servant of the Lord is going to establish justice on the earth and the coastlands are waiting for his Torah. So this whole idea that in the New Covenant, the law of God is just this, it's, it's no longer abiding and relevant. It violates Jeremiah 31, 31, Ezekiel 36. We can keep going we can keep going uh, but i think you get the point point. and also when when the question is asked and i'll kick it over to you luke here yeah. um are the, when doreen when you asked uh the pastor um are the judicial standards abiding today do the, are, are those carried over today and if the answer the answer was no then i'll just give you one thing to shoot at when the apostle paul quotes to timothy Deuteronomy 19.15 and Numbers 35.30, um, and says, do not bring, uh, receive an accusation against an elder unless it's in the base of two to three witnesses. That's post-cross, post-resurrection, post-ascension. The Apostle Paul quotes from the judicial standards, and he says, no accusation unless there's two or three witnesses. What's he quoting from? God's judicial law. That was law for the courts and receiving accusations. So apparently the Apostle Paul didn't agree with the division that Doreen, you and the pastor are making here, where you're like, the judicial standards are all gone now, those are all irrelevant. Well, then why is the Apostle Paul quoting from them to Timothy? And he doesn't do it like, now, 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 we all know that the law of God and his judicial standards are all gone away now. But I'm going to go ahead and pull this over today. He just assumes it's abiding validity. He says to Timothy, receive no accusation against an elder unless it's on the base of two to three witnesses. What did he just do there? He pulled over from the judicial laws of Moses and assumed its abiding relevance. He didn't say, we know it's all gone away, but we're going to uphold it.
2: Yeah, so a couple things. One, um, God's law was not just for Israel in the Old Testament. There's plenty of examples of God holding other nations accountable to His law.
1: And, and one reference for people, as you, that's per, I'm glad you yeah. said that, was when God condemns the practice of homosexuality, yeah. man with man, women with women. What's He say? He says it's for these very practices that I'm driving the nations out from uh, yes. from you. Right. So He's judging those nations for violations of His His law related to sexuality.
5: What?
2: So yeah, exactly. So there's that was the first thing um and then uh i totally forgot what i was gonna say (laughs) i just lost i have a question question while you
4: i have a question while you think of your while you get back on track do ultimately so ultimately we don't really find out what he believes does he believe that the ten commandments are still abiding or he does and doreen does okay well so i guess i just for some reason it's just clicking now but it's interesting i'm wonder. i don't know what he was trying to say when he mentioned infidelity earlier because adultery is definitely a 10 part of the 10 commandments so
3: so is it a crime okay so but because the
4: 10 commandments doesn't actually cite like the case 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 law with it we just so like the the, the law is literally just a list of 10 things that you shouldn't
1: do and and we have to acknowledge the fact that the New Testament pulls more over than the Ten Commandments. You've got right, you right. Know, uh, that, but I'm just. Yeah.
4: I guess I'm just trying. I'm not, and I'm not trying to be like patronizing. No, I'm really you're not. Trying no, I get to what you're cl- Clarify, he, like what he would the
1: agree is. that you should not commit adultery is abiding in the New Testament, but they essentially uh, sort of they they'll ignore the fact that God tells you what you're supposed to do to uphold the victim's rights of the person who's been sinned against in that way. So re- they'll, they'll say no adultery in a new covenant. But there should be no punishment for adultery in a new covenant. Okay. That's, that's a, and you're going to hear that in a moment. They actually, but that's get not the that case
4: point. for other commandments though. I'm assuming they would. Okay. Anyway, well, we I, I, just... they,
1: they actually answer some of that here. Okay. Coming okay. But yeah. I'll wait, I'll be patient. Yeah. So
2: I was just going to say, I don't, <laughs> so this is tricky because I, after what he just said, I don't think he would say he's a dispensationalist, but he's acting like one, you know, cause he says we're the Jews or Gentiles are brought into one nation, but it's like, well, what's that nation? Israel?
1: Is that, is that Israel?
2: Right. So yeah. like, so God gave Old Testament Israel those standards, but Israel in the New Testament doesn't have those standards. Like, that's the question I have from, you know, so, um, because haven't we been grafted in? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because i would say we are the true israel so yeah. shouldn't those still apply um and we're gonna there's you mentioned like you know one example of of old testament law being brought into the new testament he literally says he can't find any yeah. but i think we're going to get to that in a yeah. second soon. and it's evident
0: in his churches right? right so the judicial laws that were given there is no longer a the- there's no longer a theocracy there's no longer a nation governed by god mm-hmm. uh, that is
1: what So, in the New Covenant, we have not been grafted into Israel. We are not the people of God governed by the rule of Christ? Are we not as God's people under his rule? This idea of like, we don't have that anymore. It's like, well, wait, wait a second. I don't mean this in any way to be offensive, but what do you mean by that? This is not New Testament biblical faith, the idea that like we just have this nebulous group of people here that are not under God's rule and God's standards and His righteous statutes. like that, this, this, is, this doesn't make any sense to me. I'm, I'm concerned when I hear things like that, very concerned. But it, it is indicative of how we view the law of God today, generally, in the West as evangelicals, and how seminaries have taught the law of God or simply not taught the law of God
0: gone away with. So therefore, the judicial laws are no longer needed. They they have lost their uh, purpose because there's no longer a theocracy.
1: Judicial laws are no longer needed. Okay. So when God says in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter four, that he's giving these laws to them to be their wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples, and the people were supposed to say, righteous statutes, so righteous as this, that's no longer needed today. And we no longer need God's standards of justice today. So people aren't stealing today. People aren't raping right, today. Seven. People aren't murdering today. People aren't violating their neighbors today. Uh, people aren't committing adultery today. Um, people aren't lying today and perjuring themselves today. Uh, people aren't doing that anymore today. We don't need those standards anymore. Uh, we don't need them in the church Um you know, again, we, we talked about this, this the, the command in Deuteronomy, the judicial command about witnesses is something the Apostle Paul and Jesus apply in the New Testament itself. Um, so this whole idea, like we don't need those things anymore is 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 very concerning to me. Yeah. If someone
2: stole his car, he wouldn't be like, well, we don't need those judicial laws. he <laughs> would want recompense. Well, and then it comes to this question, by what standard?
1: By what standard would you do it?
2: You know, so yeah, we do need judicial law still.
1: Yeah,
0: okay. but but the moral law, so the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. um, Jesus did reinstitute those, and and those are um, those are to still be
1: uh, adhered to by uh, believers. Because... Jesus did reinstitute those. Where? There's a the challenge. Jesus did reinstitute those. Chapter and verse, Pastor chapter and verse where we see Jesus saying, all the rest have gone away, as you're saying, but I'm going to reinstitute these. That's nowhere in the New Testament. What you do see in the New Testament is Jesus expressly saying, do not even begin to think that I come to destroy the law and the prophets. I have not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. If anyone teaches anyone to uh, disobey even the least of these commands, it would be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them would be called great. What you do see in the New Testament is that Jesus and the apostles just simply assume the abiding validity of the law of God, from judicial standards to animal husbandry laws, I mean, to the death penalty in the New Testament. And um, we'll keep going so you can see that.
0: They do reflect the nature of God, right? To steal, not to steal, not to covet another person's things, and not to murder, um, not to bear false witness, uh, to serve the Lord. All, all of those are still valuable to us. Those didn't go away. Mm-hmm. Those are uh, part of the nature of who God is and the
1: right.
5: way in
0: which we reflect Him.
5: And, and God put all those...
1: And one thing I want to say is one other thing that God's law does that reflects his nature and his character is found in the judicial law itself that shows concern for neighbor and love for neighbor and justice for, for victims' rights. And so we have to consider that when you talk about from anything from the parapet on the roof of your house to not receiving accusations to uh, adultery, to whatever you're talking about, we're talking about the revelation of God's own character. God has revealed himself. He's given us a word from on high as to what is just in this situation where a crime has been committed. This is the just response. And so when we talk about God's character and his revelation, those judicial standards are a a reflection of, an expression of his own character and his standards it's not just the 10 commandments
4: well and it's uh, he i mean not to be too nitpicky but he said that they were valuable for us but i think that there i think there's some confusion about um you were just you were just touching on it but just like it's that whole sort of pragmatism thing like we can we pres- he preserved this moral law Because that's what will be good for the world to continue. The world won't keep going if everyone kills each other, you know. And it's this... But really, um, the moral law reveals the holiness of God. And that's a component. I'm not saying that he's just doesn't believe that. Mm. But I'm just saying there seems to be an emphasis on one over the other Mm. in the statement where it would be both. It's not just about... I just... Whenever I s- see people engaging on this, I, f- I feel like the pragmatism comes through and the like, well, it just, it doesn't work for humanity. But there are some things that don't work for humanity, especially unbelieving humanity. Mm. And God still commands mm-hmm. it. It's not about, it's not just for for our good. God isn't, he's not a pragmatist. He is, he's God. <laughs> right,
1: right. That's right
5: everybody's hearts, believer right. and unbeliever.
0: Right, and that's what's called, and this is where a little bit of the debate between theonomy happens between um, those who are not theonomists, mm-hmm. uh, that we believe Romans 1 that tells us that there's, there's a thing called a nat- the natural law, right? So, because people will say, "Well, how can we condemn someone in a country that's never, you know, the aborigines? Those poor people always get the illustration, right? <laughs> but yeah. why do why why can God judge the aborigines who's never heard the gospel, and yet God's going to condemn them?" And and Paul answers that question. He says, "Well, actually, every human being has has what's called the natural law. They can see in nature, in themselves, and in nature, the evidences of God, and because of that, they will be held accountable for that." Reality that's in them. It's called natural theology, and it's important for us, or natural law. It's important for us to understand that because Paul uses that. It's also what governs nations, which we're going to get into here a little bit with dominionism, but also in theonomy. So um the reason why theonomists are going to read,
1: okay, really important. um So scripture is clear on uh, there's general revelation and there's special revelation. General revelation is what comes generally through nature. Uh, We talk about natural theology and natural law coming through, and then there's special revelation that is literally word from God on high, special revelation. That is his scripture, words from his prophets, and um, and so these two books that God gives, general revelation and special revelation, these two books can't contradict one another. And he's going to say soon here that theonomists deny natural um, revelation or natural uh, law. Uh, I don't know any theonomist who's ever denied uh, natural theology or natural revelation or natural law. Uh, What we say is, is that natural law, natural general revelation is inefficient when you're dealing with human sin, because the rebel will always rebel against God and the revelation that he gives. That's also in Romans 1. It says they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So even the general revelation that gets through with clarity, so as Paul says, they are left unapologatus, without a reasoned defense. When that gets through, what does Paul say under inspiration in that same section of scripture? He says that that general revelation gets through, and that... Sinful mankind suppresses that revelation. And so here's, here's the key issue, everyone. This is probably one of the most important things we hear here. Um, there is general revelation and natural law. And then there is special revelation, right? These are two books from God. Here's what's important here. Ready? These books don't contradict each, each other. Pause and think about that for a moment because it's one of the most important elements. General revelation and natural law... And special revelation cannot contradict one another because they're both from the same God. So if you say that the nations are just ruled by natural law and they know God's standards because God says he gives it to them. Yeah, it also says that he, they suppress it in unrighteousness. And how do I know, ready? How do we all know that the unbelievers ruling our nation today are not listening to the natural law within them? Because they are exchanging the truth of God for a lie and they are saying that men with men, women with women is totally fine. How do you and I know that that is sinful and wrong? It says they've got that general revelation. It says they defy it. And the way that I know that they are defying general revelation in natural theology, natural law, is because of special revelation. Mm -hmm. General revelation gets through but is suppressed. So yeah... Natural law is within the image bearer, but they suppress that law and they do according to their own devices, and how do I know they're they're sinning against natural law that's been given to them? Because I have special revelation. Those two books from God can't contradict one another. And you can't say, well, nations are just going to be ruled by natural law and general revelation. Yeah, they sin against that. And how do I know they're sinning against it? Because the general revelation they th- they say is getting through clearly is being suppressed because special revelation says, this is sin and this is what is just. So, very important. Yeah. <laughs> do We uh, have to, we had to just bounce somebody? Oh, no. The, the,
2: the yeah, tattoos came up again. Oh, we weren't okay. listening to anything we're saying. Um... Nah go ahead. There's there's just so much I can say. There's more coming now. Yeah,
0: I know. Something like natural law is they don't believe that that is sufficient to govern humanity and to govern nations and that the law, the actual written law, the um, spirit-inspired law needs to be what's used.
1: And so uh, I'll give you an example of why this breaks down and there's a problem. Because, again, this is so critical, because those two books delivered to mankind... General revelation and special revelation are from the same God. He gives humanity both general and special. And so you know that sinful, rebellious mankind suppresses the truth and unrighteousness and so they will not be guided or listen to general revelation or natural law ultimately because they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. That's what Romans 1 also says. So the way that I know that they're not obeying that natural theology or natural law is because i have special revelation from god where god tells me explicitly what his word is about justice and righteousness and all of his statutes and so when you say what well, there's general revelation people will be governed by that clearly they're not clearly they're not tell us about the uh, what's it what's it called the uh the profanation of marriage act what's the defense of marriage act yeah. oh yeah yeah how's that general revelation working out for y'all how's it working out that's my question How's it working out with all the transgender stuff? How's it working out? How's, how's a general revelation coming through with a sinful, rebellious human? And, and the way that you know that they're violating that natural law or general revelation is because you have special revelation. And you know what else is in that special revelation? God's standards and his justice and his righteous statutes. It's all there. I want this.
0: Okay, so we're in a church. You and I are in a church, and we go to you know First Church or whatever. And our dear brother Jim decides to cheat on his wife, you know, heartbroken. And the the Bible has this deal with a certain deal with that. I mean, first Corinthians is a good example of this, you know, the man who's sleeping with his uh, mother-in-law. And so we call him to repent if he doesn't repent. Um, and then we call him to repent again. We take him for the congregation. You need to repent. We put him out of the church with the hopes of what, as Paul says, that he comes back, that we restore him, right? We want to restore him. So, and he even says in the Corinthians, the second letter, he's like, okay, you put him out, now, now let him come back in. What's the, here's the problem with theonomy. If it, if the United States is governed by this rule of law, then there is no repentance. There is no, when we put him out, there's no calling back. The man, the man needs to be judged by the law and he will be put to death.
1: Okay. Ready? Now, this is is where legs come off. Ready? Uh, Now try theft. Now try rape. Now try molestation. You see, you don't really believe this, do you, pastor? Doreen, you don't believe this either because I'll, I'll be willing to bet that you both would be on our side. If there was a man who was caught in the Sunday school, molesting the children in Sunday school, you would say, we want him to have the gospel. We want him to know Jesus. But guess what? He's still got to face justice. He's still got to face the state. Why? Because he committed a crime. Or if you caught someone stealing from the church, like stealing, like one woman at uh, Cornerstone years ago that was working for Cornerstone, and she had stole hundreds of thousands of dollars from the uh, from the church. She was just wow. buying gift cards and she was using them herself, and they were supposedly giveaways as benevolence. As far as I know, that's what the situation was. In mm. um, a situation like that, yeah, you want the person to know the gospel. You want them to know Jesus. You want them to be forgiven. But guess what? You recognize they still have to uh, face the state. So this whole the, what, what this really shows here is really what you said, is that we have actually dumbed down and diminished the crime of adultery. We don't really think about adultery like God does right? We don't think about adultery like God does in terms of there's a victim here, and this is actually a crime, not just a sin. Because not every not every sin in the Old Testament is actually a crime. Yeah. Right. Um, it, it's not. But some are sins and crimes, and adultery is listed as a sin and a crime. And so what they're saying here is, if this guy commits adultery, according to this theonomist, like, you know, they would, they, he had to, he'd have to face justice. And like, you know, we couldn't believe in that. It's like, well, that's what God said. And you don't believe that about rape, child molestation or theft or murder. If a guy murdered someone in this pastor's church, he would be saying, I want this man to repent and know the gospel, but he has to face the state.
4: Well, and, and execution is not done by the church, the, the church right. or individual people. Right. Um it's done by it's done civilly. It's it's judicial. By the government. Which means that um that if you catch someone cheating on their wife, you can't just stab them to death right there. It there there's sort of a um it, like it sounds good, but a trial takes a period of time. Currently, trials take Way, way, way too long. long. Um, But the point is, is that you wouldn't just be running in. This is not what theonomists do not believe, that you just run in, witness a crime or hear of a crime and go, oh, oh, God said I can personally kill you. That's just not that. I feel like that those the statement is like, here's why it doesn't work. And then it doesn't actually comport with what theonomy actually believes, which would include everything that a legal judicial trial would include
3: witnesses. because that's from the Bible. it's actually from the Bible witnesses, right? Cross-examination. Yeah. If you like witnesses and cross-examination, thank Moses for that. Thank you. And that's Moses. what I
4: think. I think it has, I don't know. I have suspicions about why we're so, um, willing to believe that none of this very smart stuff came from the Bible. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just feel like it's, um, I don't know. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be mean, but it just seems uh, <laughs> like it's assuming some things that are just not, are just not true. Right. That's like at face That's what value, what he said, that does appear to be a problem for the theonomist, but it's pretty easy to take that down. It's not, it's not immediate. You're not just, you're not just uh dispensing just justice immediately. That would actually right. be injustice for right. you to, to kill someone um, without well, uh, any sort of legal it, it, proceedings. It gets to
1: another important element here, too. They're going to bring this up here, um, yeah, I think, right after this. But um, theonomy is not just about punishment. That's what's really important here. It's not just about capital punishment. It's not just about punishment. Theonomy, God's law, also is about protecting and preserving human life, like with the parapet on the roof of your house. It's also about respecting one another's property. Like don't move the property boundary marker of your neighbor's uh, land, their house. Right. Don't steal from them in that way. Uh, theonomy is also about paying your employees who work for you, right? Like uh, don't muzzle the oxbow that treads the grain mm-hmm. right. was to teach them that if something's working for you, you pay them and you pay them, right. right? And so that's also theonomy. Theonomy is not just about punishment. Right. It's about how you treat your neighbor. It's well, about- and,
4: Yeah, it's about, I mean, really, even all these, even all the- um, like the legal consequences that we're talking about here, are not like in our current justice system works to rehabilitate the offender, whereas God's law is about like establishing whole, re-establishing wholeness in the victim. The victim's so rights. It's more about the victim than the offender, and we don't we don't totally understand right. That no, that's not how. I'm our so current,
1: glad you brought that up. Yeah, the issue with 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 those laws in terms of penalties is about victims' rights. Right. It's about making the victim whole. It's
4: not about making the offender feel really, really bad about what they did. No, only God can do that. Right. Right. It's about fixing, it's about restoring something that was broken. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And that's why, like, with uh, the easiest ways to do it, and I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up, is with theft there's different laws about how you repay. Right. So if it's just a general issue of theft, it's it's typically double, right? You you're making yeah. them whole and then you you're you're making them whole again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that in that, that way you're restored because you were stolen from and the person can come back to society now because they've made you whole. Right. They're right? not
4: treated like an animal for if it, whatever exactly. weird, arbitrary not period caged, of time. Not
1: caged up like an animal, becoming a burden to the rest of society, punishing the rest of the society who has to pay for his jail cell and his sex change and his food and his doctor's bills and all the rest. Um, but if it's for a business, now that you've lost business as well, if you've right. been stolen from, so it's, it's, a different, it's a different repayment for business, you're, you're paying back like the thing plus five like because you lost business and right. it affects the business. But in the situation where you have an instance where it's like murder... Well, because you've done something that's so heinous and so devastating and it's so disruptive to the world, there really is no way to make that victim whole again because you've taken their life. So that's why it's eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's equal right. justice right. where if you've taken their life, then your life has to be paid because the only way on this side of heaven you can make that right is that you've, afford- you've taken a life, you've forfeited yours. Yeah. Because there's no way I can make this victim whole So the only way to to make the situation just is that you forfeit your life. It's equal justice. That's the key issue with God's law is that it's equal justice. Anything beyond equal justice would be sinful because if you go too heavy, now you're abusing the criminal, right? right? If you go too light, then you're abusing the victim. And that's why it has to be equal justice. That's the key issue in God's law is equal justice.
2: Just one quick thing is this is, where they're really conflating things, I mean he he literally said, "Well, they would just want to put him to death with no no chance of repentance what <laughs> uh no, we'll give him plenty of opportunities to repent. It's called jail ministries <laughs> yeah he can, he can repent we'll give him the gospel, he can repent, but that's where they conflate the two like sin and crime. It's like he committed to sin and a crime, there's a punishment for the crime, right he can still repent if it's sin, right. But that's where right. I'm like, I heard that, and I go, "Oh my goodness, like, right. this is major category." Well, right.
1: it's also it demonstrates that that our understanding of the law of God today is severely lacking. Yeah. It's severely lacking because exactly, we don't understand those distinctions. And we also don't understand the sphere of authority of the church and the sphere of authority of the state. The state's job, according to Romans know. 13, he's going to quote in here a second. The state's yep. job, according to Romans 13, is to wield the sword of justice and to punish evildoers. Right. That's the job of the state. And they're supposed to do it as a servant of the true God, right. not some other God of the true By God. By standard. Right. So the church has the responsibility of preaching the gospel it's, it's, it's that community. We understand what we do there. We preach the gospel. We heal as we were sanctified there. But the state has a prescribed duty to mm-hmm. punish evil. So the question, once again, Pastor Luke, you know I'm going to say it, is this. If the state who is God's deacon in Romans 13 is to punish evil, by what standard yeah. will they do it?
2: Exactly. And he early in the episode, he mentions he has a 14-year-old daughter. Like, if some jerk was to rape his daughter... He wouldn't be saying, well, we can't punish him because we need to give him a chance to repentance.
1: No, he'd be saying, give him the gospel and... And
2: he needs to die.
1: The state needs to the yeah. state needs to do, do their duty.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. So it doesn't work. Like, you don't hear Paul, like people people ask, oh, you know, do you think Paul is a theonomist? <laughs> I was like, no, because Paul is not teaching that this man should be put to death. He's telling this man should be called to repentance. Mm-hmm. And that's why theonomy doesn't work because... You just read the New Testament, the whole thing, it, it doesn't function that way. I mean, the whole church at Corinth should be – now, the argument between that is that, well, the church in Corinth wasn't underneath the the, uh, the law of Moses, and so their governing powers, they didn't have the right in the church – they didn't have the right to put him to death because the governing authorities have to do that. This is like a good example with the the Jews going to Rome, asking Rome to kill Jesus because they didn't have the yeah. right to do that. That's kind of that illustration. Okay. Uh, but you, you just don't see Paul saying, well, we should kill him, <laughs> but we can't.
1: So we'll have no- mm-hmm. He wouldn't have said we should kill him because that's not the role of the church. The church's role is to preach the gospel to heal souls. And we practice church discipline. We practice church discipline, um, but it is the state's responsibility. And I will I will point out to you, Pastor, that in Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul says that God has given us the government, civil magistrates, the state to punish evil. And he says there, and it's prescriptive, not descriptive. He's not describing what Rome is doing in his day. It's He's prescribing the role of the state is that the deacon of God, the state, is to wield the sword of justice and punish evil that's their duty so you can't say that paul didn't agree with this like that's what you're alleging here is that paul didn't agree with this that these crimes should be dealt with by the state paul said in romans 13 that the state's role is to punish evil so the question is if you were to ask paul by what standard paul do you think the state should punish evil what do you think he would have said what do you think he would have said some pagan law or the law of god if the state according to romans 13 is god's deacon god's servant then by what standard should the state wield the sword of justice? And so the reason you see the Apostle Paul dealing with church discipline that way is because that's exactly how the church is supposed to operate. We don't execute justice. We don't punish crimes in the church. The state, according to Paul, is the one that punishes crimes. Mm -hmm. That's what Paul said. The state punishes evil, not the church. We don't do that. And you quote it, brother. I was going
2: to say, I think you have an appointment soon yeah i'm gonna get to this last part to leave very quickly to go to my daughter's dance
0: oh do you okay we're at two hours already are we really okay
1: i'll try to go quickly here just real
0: fast it's just nowhere there so
5: is there is there any examples of theonomy in the epistles
0: i can't seem to find one as a matter of fact the
1: exact opposite
0: is is Mm. true of that you gave a lot you You gave a lot of them
1: (laughs) quit just i want you to have them uh don't bring an accusation against an elder unless it's two or three witnesses that's uh judicial code uh, do most of the ox while it treads the grain—that is animal husbandry law. So yeah, how abiding and relevant is the law of God? It's down to animal husbandry. That's that's one for all you vegans and yeah. vegetarians out there. <laughs> and uh, and by the way, I just, just got to I got to point this out in Acts chapter twenty-five, the Apostle Paul says while he's going through this trial situation, he says in Acts twenty-five after the cross, resurrection, and ascension, he says, "If I've done anything worthy of death, I don't object to dying." So the Apostle yeah. Paul clearly mm-hmm. believes in Acts twenty-five in a the New Covenant era, that there are things that are worthy of death. Yeah. And he says, if I've done anything worthy of death, I don't object to dying. Why don't I object? Because it would be moral and right for you to put me to death if I've done something worthy of death. So he believed in the New Covenant after the ascension of Jesus that there were things that were worthy of death. Yeah. What do you think he would have defined as things worthy of death? Something that Nero said or something that Moses said? And so we can do this for days. You've got Paul quoting from the Ten Commandments, children, obey your parents and the Lord, honor your father and your mother. You've got all the commandments quoted. You have just them assumed in terms of abiding validity, literally down to animal husbandry laws. So when someone says, can you find theonomy in the New Testament? And they say, I can't find it. I want to say, you're not looking. You're not looking.
0: Something like Romans 13. What does Paul tell us? That we are to submit to our governing authorities, right? Mm-hmm. The power that is over us. Titus does the same thing, that we are to submit and live peaceably with them. So in, you don't hear language from Paul and Peter and then in the letter to Titus. You don't hear them saying, um, here's how to get the law into the government. As a matter of fact, he says God is the one governing them. God is the God of the government, which we'll get to this in a minute with dominionism as well. But God is the God of the government and God's authority handles these. And this is what your responsibility is, is to um, your responsibility is to submit to God's authority in, in the way in which He is, he's handled it.
1: So quickly, Romans 13, I'll just do that one. Go read it, brothers and sisters, read it. It is not expressed the way this this brother expresses it. It actually says it defines the role, it prescribes the role of the civil magistrate, the state and the government. And it says they are to punish evil. They are to punish evil and execute justice. That's their role. And the question is, by what standard? When we're, as Christians are commanded to submit to our governing authorities, um, when you say it like this, the question is, Well, what about the Apostle Peter and the other apostles when they were actually commanded by their government to stop preaching in Jesus' name? They said, we must obey God rather than men. In other words, they understood that God's the ultimate, his standards are the ultimate, I'm going to obey him before I obey you, rulers and authorities. So your rule and authority only goes so far. How do I know that rulers and authorities have gone too far? Ready? By the standard of God's revelation. This is how I know.
0: This is, um, you know, I think... Probably the greatest example of this would be would be Romans thirteen, um, but even uh, let's see if you yeah Titus three. He says uh, Titus three one, remind them the church to be submissive to rulers and authorities to obe- to be obedient, to be ready for every good work and to speak evil of no one and to avoid quarrelling and to be gentle and-, and show perfect
1: courtesy to all people. Uh, Paul, can I remind us please just quickly. Um, I know we're going along here. Um, I want to remind us that the early Christians, including the apostles, were killed by Rome. They were killed by Rome because they wouldn't submit to Rome when Rome demanded, they say Kaiser Curios, that Caesar is Lord. Caesar is ultimate. They said Jesus is Lord. So they apparently didn't agree with uh, this pastor's understanding of yeah. these texts because they were killed by the state because they said to the state... Christ is Lord. He's the ultimate. He's over you. You must obey Jesus. And because of that, they were killed. So this whole idea that they didn't have anything to say to the government, they really had no involvement. They weren't saying anything to the government in terms of what the government's responsibilities and obligations were is patently false because the early Christians were slaughtered and martyred by Rome for saying Jesus is Lord. That statement is too easy for us to say today because of Christendom. Because of the gospel, because Mm -hmm. we're here now, we say Jesus is Lord, we're like, no big deal. When they were saying it, they were directly defying the Roman government of their day. They were tied to stakes, they were flayed, they were burned, they were crucified, they had their heads cut off, they were beaten to death, they were fed to lions because they specifically defied the authority of the Roman government, and they said, Jesus is Lord, you must obey him. That's why the Christians died. This discussion, honestly, is in some ways startling to me. It's like, do we not know our history? Do we not understand how Christianity was treated in the first century and why the Christians were killed by Rome? They weren't killed by Rome because Romans like Rome's like, we don't like Jesus and you can't worship him. You could worship anything you want in Rome. The Christians were saying, you, Rome, Caesar, you're under Jesus. You must obey him. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for that they were killed.
2: Yeah. And again, this nation would not exist if our founding fathers had his interpretation of that passage. Right.
0: Well, it would be one thing we could be confused if he just kind of said it in one area of the Bible, but he says it in multiple areas of the Bible. Even in Ephesians, he talks about praying for our leaders, right? So if we are supposed to be taking the law and overturning governments with the law, that doesn't work for a <laughs> it, it,
1: There you go. Let's, by the way, he says this several times, and I'll go ahead and just end this here because he says it several times. <laughs> this is where I said it was embarrassing, this idea of we're supposed to be overturning governments with the law of God. I want to say this, um, show me the theonomist that says that, show me the the book on theonomy where that's expressed. Um, we believe theonomists believe that whether you talk about the Puritans, whether you're talking about modern day theonomists like ourselves, we believe that the transformation of the world happens because of the gospel and the call of repentance. And we believe that the law of God is abiding and relevant, whether they like it or not. That's why when we go to city councils and we go stand before legislatures and we put bills of abolition in, we do it as the church Mm -hmm. and we call people to repentance and we point them to Jesus. We call them to forgiveness and eternal life by trusting in Christ and we tell them they must obey God and establish justice for these preborn. We do not believe that you overturn governments with the law of God. That is is a fiction. It's said a number of times here and I want to just say when I say this is embarrassing, that's the embarrassing critique I want to talk about because there is no theonomist that I have ever read or talked to or heard preach that believes that that you the goal of theonomy is to overturn governments with the law of God. No, it's through the call of the gospel mm-hmm. and the call to repentance and faith. And again, the law word of God is abiding and relevant whether they accept it or not. And so when just as an example, we're theonomists. And when we go to legislatures and we're putting bills of abolition into states to protect and preserve human life and bring equal protection, we're doing it as the church, calling them to repentance and faith in Jesus. And we're saying, this is the law of God. You must uphold this and do your duty before God as his servant, as his deacon to protect the righteous and punish evil. That's your duty before God. But we're not going to overturn any government through the law of God. It's only through the gospel. Yeah.
2: It's bottom-up, not top-down. Now, I was going to say, I I hope we can actually get to the rest of this in another show because it needs to be... Maybe we will. Okay, responsive. we're at 45-21.
1: We'll yeah. remember that.
2: Next week, uh, Ben Merkel will be here in studio, um, which maybe we can... Uh, even get to it with him um, yeah he'd, he'd probably like to yeah. do that um but anyways i i really want to get to the rest because there's some really <laughs> good stuff in there still
1: yeah no very very important stuff so hopefully this has been a blessing to everybody guys go to Studios.com, get your all access partner with us in the ministry make everything we do possible endabortionnow.com we have bills coming into numerous states next legislative session we've got georgia we've got alabama arizona arizona we've got a number of states we need you to financially partner with us. This this is an amazing moment for the church. Praise the Lord for it, but we need you to partner with us. Go to endabortionnow.com. Give there. Please give there financially because getting these bills into these states and getting justice established for these pre-born uh, neighbors of ours actually costs money, and we need your help yep. to do this work. And so endabortionnow.com, please support us. That's Luke the Bear. Peace out. That's Joy the Girl. I'm the Ninja. We'll catch you next time. Thank you guys for Watch.
3: watching.